Welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. I want to welcome you to episode 146 of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast. Today, we're going to be chatting with Ricky Forbes, a renowned storm chaser from Canada, Saskatchewan there. Um, but before we get into that, I got sitting across from me, Mr. S. Grant. Sheldon, how are you doing today? Oh, man, I'm doing pretty awesome. Um, doing quite a bit of like uh, recording lately. <clears throat> just, did a, just did an episode earlier tonight and um, back into the swing of things this spring. No, I wouldn't say spring, but like January, February was like the, you know, the cold season. You're kind of almost down. You're ready for it to warm up. You're ready for longer days. Everything's coming together. And I'm like ready to get back into the podcasting world and just hammering out episodes, which we have been in the last few days. Now we just got to get our editor in gear and get Mm -hmm. him, uh, get him on, on board and we'll be back on schedule. Yeah. There's uh there's content to be made there's there's adventures to be had and uh agreed that january february can be kind of like people want to hold up a little there, there's still adventure to be had though there's ice season spring uh i always say things might slow down a little but that's before we discovered turkey hunting that's before the whole uh start your own seeds indoors took off so there, there's still adventure to be had in the spring i guess i should say yeah for sure the, and the other thing too <clears throat> just because I need to pay a bill right now is that you know what spring means is barbecue season what barbecue season means you got to get your propane filled where do you get your propane filled co-op boom here I go there you go a big thank you to co-op and all of their places across western Canada they've got like they're in like over 600 communities um so any of our listeners if you're ever looking to get your propane filled up for your ice shack in the last few weeks or getting it for your barbecue or you know if, even if you're a farmer doing your thing go check out co-op they've uh you know, locally owned and operated and we've uh tag teamed up with them or team for teammates almost tristan so mm-hmm. um we'll support them as much as we can and hopefully our listeners will support them as well big thank you to co-op if you ever want to check them out check them out online or stop into their gas stations grocery stores hardware stores you know exactly what we're talking about uh, when it comes to co-op so thanks a lot to them yeah, and nice to know that um, your your grocery dollar, your fuel dollar, those kind of things are going to stay as local as possible. We know co-op supports a lot of local initiatives throughout the communities that they operate in. So uh, a big thank you for that. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering, Sheldon, you got, we were talking cold, talking spring here. You got anything going on for the spring here before we get to, uh, to Ricky there? Yeah, well, I just actually wanted to mention I was out on Lake Manitoba last weekend again. Now, this is the second time going out. Um, for some reason, I have this vendetta, might be the, maybe the right word, that I'm going to hit the walleye bite perfectly and I'm just going to hammer walleye because I talked to like some of the local guys that fish there um, in, in certain spots. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're, you know, we're icing our limits, getting our limits. And, you know, I'm going there like bare, like we were not even getting a limit. Um, so we went there on the Saturday and I had that Jiffy Ice Auger out there. So a few things I want to mention is that we've uh, been running Jiffies for a little bit now, but mine, the plastic flight broke, surprise, surprise. So I put on the, like the metal flight. So, but with the metal flight, you got to run it in reverse. And so 
fresh battery. We drill 15, what do we drill? 15 holes and three quarters and the battery dies. Can't even get it to like chew the last two inches. So like, thank God we had three holes of this last spot. And so we were fishing there, we caught a few. So we're like, oh, we're going to stay. And so this last hole, I had one of those still water bump boards, like those metal ones. So I just <laughs> was just sitting there for like half hour, just chipping ice and it was like filling up with water so like obviously something was happening and yeah half hour later i finally got through the ice and got my uh, second line in the water um ended up catching a, a few walleye and a perch so it was a good day overall it's super nice it was the first day in a long time where we didn't have to set up the shelter we just sat on the ice it was sunny like really really low winds um yeah it was awesome great day that's uh it's nice to have those those times on the ice when when things actually go the way to plan for the most part you, you gotta kind of expect a setback or two but to to get the weather and maybe some fish on the ice you can't ask for much more than that yeah well the thing is is like we start talking about that electric ice auger and i'm really 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 curious for like like if you took every one of those ice augers with the exact same battery like say strength etc what you're drilling for holes and three to three and a half feet ice because that's what's there in lake manitoba and i i got 15 and three quarter holes and it died so i don't know if that's like good bad average whatever i feel, I feel like that's pretty decent right i think so and i'm running a, and i'm running a like a like a metal flight in reverse yeah i don't know yeah. if that would make much difference but so you've kind of got this thing jerry-rigged to some extent right and it's it's still doing the job Oh yeah, it does a wicked job if for the first 15 holes. <laughs> well, and that's the thing too, is like these companies probably like advertise, oh yeah, I'll drill 90 holes, but that's in seven, eight inches of ice in Minnesota, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But anyways. At minus five. Yeah. Yeah, very yeah. true. We we have mentioned that the Jiffy does like uh it does punch ice like a bat out of hell. So I did enjoy that aspect out of it. Um, oh, yeah. in some ways. Um, and I did notice that Harvester, Harvester Outdoors there at a Selkirk has their Jiffy products on sale right now. Huge discount, just like their Striker sale earlier, just like their, uh, they had those HD Enterprises tents on sale earlier. Um, whenever stuff does go, go on sale there, it seems they're really going on sale. So um, Harvester supports us on the podcast here. Uh, we get a ton of stuff through them because they're they're just another great local company, community-minded also come with an in-house band. Um, <laughs> <laughs> go check them out. But uh, yeah, that's Harvester Outdoors in Selkirk, Manitoba. And if you want to check out their their website too, they got a, uh, well, uh, I'd say a pretty refreshed website up and running at harvesteroutdoors.ca. And uh, they've, been they've been in the game since 2017, so they know what they're doing. Uh, go say hello to Sean. Tell him we sent you because uh, he's a good guy and, and we love to just give them any business we can absolutely 100 percent. i seen that uh you and your brother chaser there were out weren't you guys out in the shack with your old man and the kids and it was a little family get together or what was going on there that was last sunday or something or um, Saturday maybe. yeah that was that was i think that was sunday and it's getting to be a, a little sad like on the river here we have a bit of a compressed ice season because the ice forms a little later and right. um it's just kind of shitty that uh, that uh, that compresses your ice season, uh, especially when you're putting like you you're putting on a hard shack right or like a a hard body shack. You don't want to mess around, right? You don't want to 
risk this thing going through the ice. We've had a buddy put his big shack through the ice before, and it, it's not fun. And to be honest, I would never, ever, ever, ever want to go through the ice on that river because the water's just too fast. Things would go real sideways real quick there, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to play it safe, I'd say. Um, that being said, when the shack's out there, it is such an easy spot for us to get to. Um, you know, it comfortably sits four people, but we pack our, our chase has two boys there. So chase the two boys, myself and, and Finn pack in there plus grandpa. And we just, we have, we have a whole shit ton of snacks. We punch some holes, catch some sauger, tell some stories. And, uh, it's a, it's a really fun way to, to burn the morning. And the, the boys are getting into it even more every time they go out. Um, they're catching saugers, they're catching, they're baiting their hooks now. Um, so it's really cool to see that develop. Um, in some ways it's almost even easier than boat, like summer fishing in the boat. There's no bugs there. Uh, the boys can go run outside if they, if they want to, if the, especially if it's not too cold. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a little sad to see the shack go it's got to get off the ice this weekend coming up here so it's going to be that time of year again that time of season to to pull it off and it's going to be packed away for another year seems like we just launched it yeah yeah no kidding it's fast fast year um speaking of kids getting out to the shack when dad and i were driving out to uh, go ice fishing i kind of asked him the same question was do you remember like the first time taking me out doing things and we were reminiscing about a, a duck hunt we went on and we're just sitting on like, uh, like uh, between two fields kind of. And I told him like, yeah, I'm like, the only thing I remember is that I had like a potato sack I was covering up with and I didn't even have a gun. Like I was just laying there and it was like probably like, you know, seven or eight, maybe even younger years old. And yeah, those kids will have those memories forever. Catching sauger with grandpa, I'm sure. And dad by the fire, you know, man, I've been on the potato sack, sack duck hunt and, uh, <laughs> They are core memories. Let's just put it that way. I I still will never forget the smell of burlap. I'll be 85 years old in my uh in my retirement home in my in my bed, probably in my deathbed, and I'll be like, yeah, that, that's what burlap smells like. Yeah, no kidding, eh? Yeah. Um yeah, and then the other thing I wanted to mention before we launch this episode with Ricky Forbes, because he is from Saskatchewan. We're headed to Saskatchewan. I'm heading to Saskatchewan. Tristan's still on the fence with some things. So I'm heading to Saskatchewan. I'm going to the Parkland Outdoor Show with Panoramic Outdoors. We've got a booth. We're going to have set up all of our merchandise, catch and cook. Um, we're going to have, you know, um, maybe a little bit of podcast gear. Oh, I'm going to take the podcast gear because I'm going to wrangle in a few of those people that are going to the event to jump on the podcast. That's at the end of April. April, I believe it's 29th. I'm shooting off the, I think it's 29th. Uh, weekend last weekend in april uh, in yorkton parkland outdoor show there's a lot of cool different events there so come on down come see us come see everyone else say hi um and if uh if you are coming make sure you stop at our booth and say hi awesome man hey i i know you brought the the wool love out to the past one there you think you're gonna have some wool love at the parkland show because I, I do think it's valuable for folks to just take a look at it yeah absolutely i yeah we did display a little bit um some long john's shirt at the park or at the manitoba show and i was just talking to jason that uh, runs wool love and we're gonna yeah we're gonna probably put something together for the parkland show and um yeah he he talking about some of the, the cool things that are coming out in the future here too so 
they're always like innovating their product innovating their product i don't mm-hmm. know if that makes sense but yeah they're always coming up with like little changes making it better and, and the thing is that i like working with Wolov is that they ask us questions like when i get on a phone call with him he asks me questions on how is it with this how is it this way you know and i was like straight up with him about some things you know like the socks for instance i was just like hey man they, they could be better and what happens like six months later they have a different style of sock so we'll love is is super cool um really love that their stuff you know that makes me think back because i i remember i thought commenting before like hey um the base layer is great like um for a lot of applications but sometimes on extra cold days where i'm not moving like i wouldn't mind a bit of a thicker base layer and then they came out with that heavier heavier base layer for the for the legs there eh? yeah so like basically we run wool of uh, <laughs> we tell them what to do no but it's just cool that they uh they listen to their their customers right um it's obviously not just us they pro- there's probably a lot of things a lot of people saying that or maybe a few people saying that and they adjust it and it's very nice mm-hmm. if you guys want to get into wool of you can go onto their website, uh, wool.love on the old internet web. Uh, you can use our, our promo code panoramic 15. You'll get 15% off. Um, and they got a bunch of bundles you can put together and, and, and at checkout, you'll save a bit of money that way. I don't think our, our code works with that. It might just try it. And if it doesn't work well, oh, well, um, or you can find it on Amazon too, but I would suggest going to their website cause you can get better deals there, but that's wool.love on the old interweb. And uh, we'll get into Ricky in a minute here, but Sheldon, I got to ask you, like, how did it, Ricky's like, he's a pretty big deal in some ways. They got a big, big following there. And uh, guy, the guy chases bloody tornadoes for a living. Like, how did you, how did you secure Ricky for the Panoramic Outdoors podcast? Well, it was definitely a different way of thinking, but like <clears throat> um, extreme sports and he's always outdoors. I mean, our podcast isn't about always about hunting and fishing and we like to try to, and I know I'm not trying to speak for Tristan, but I know Tristan thinks the same way is, you know, get different um, episodes on to interest different people. And the one thing that was very interesting is tornadoes and weather. And I just think that with Manitoba, for instance, we're seeing more and more tornadoes or we seem to see more and more tornadoes. So why not get a guy that can speak about them, you know, chases them. He might not be a scientist, but like he's got boots on the ground, type information which i really appreciate in all aspects of the outdoors so yeah it's a different it's definitely a, a different podcast but it's very interesting yeah there, there was some definite we- interesting weather factoids that would translate over to what we do i know that for sure we had some of those conversations ricky was also straight up he's like man i've never really hunted much i think i've shot a gun like twice in my life um mm-hmm. but I, I will like this was probably we've had a few long podcasts but there there was the let, let me just say there was no shortage of conversation with ricky on, yeah. on the podcast like it just things flowed and uh there was always something interesting to talk about and honestly some of the stories is if you if you stick around here some of the stories you'll hear about ricky's encounters have to be some of the wildest stories that i think we've ever heard on this podcast so um really grateful for uh for ricky spending his time here with us oh yeah 100 percent. and the thing about ricky yeah man what a great dude he's just salt of the earth type dude and uh he should have his own podcast like he can talk and, and he can go from one subject to another so it's it's awesome it was awesome having him on yeah well now that we pumped them up and uh set you, set the bar super high i i think we should just hop right into it so uh 
episode 146, Ricky Forbes. Hope you enjoy. Well, today's guest, I'm uh, pretty pumped to have him on. We've been talking the last little while, last few months, trying to organize a time and busy schedules. We finally got one ready to go. You might know the guy from uh, social media or from his TV show, Tornado Hunters. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Right on. Thanks for welcome to the, or welcome to the show, Ricky Forbes. Hey, you for uh, me. Oh, no, no sorry. problem. No problem. That's the all point of the podcast is interrupting each other and saying sorry. So <laughs> it's all good. So where are you uh, tuning in from today? I'm back home in Saskatoon tonight. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. So you're right in our next door neighbor. We're in from Manitoba here. Tristan, we're going to fire off five burning questions to Ricky here. I'm going to start with the first three and then Tristan's going to hammer you with the last two. But my first question, I ask everyone this and it's one of my favorite ones. But if you had one last meal, um, what would you have and what would you have to drink with it? One last meal. Um, that's tough. You know what? Um, of all the options, my favorite food is a chicken Caesar wrap. Nice. Right on. Oh, yeah. It's a, a great gas station meal right there. Yeah. Does, does someone make a particularly good chicken Caesar wrap out your way? Um, you know, there's lots of restaurants that do it really well. Um but the last place you would think would <clears throat> that would have a decent chicken season wrap is 7-Eleven. And it's actually all right. <laughs> like, uh, there's no food poisoning and uh, it tastes pretty good. <laughs> Not Not that's, that's, a, that's a real pro tip. Yeah, we've de- I've definitely had my fair share of gas station fast food. And it's, uh, sometimes it can be a perilous. When you're making that trip out in the boat or something like that, it could be a recipe for disaster. <laughs> For sure. It's one of those ones where you like, uh, after you're done eating it, you realize you've made a massive mistake. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a sucker for those gas station, like, uh, pepperettes and cheese combo things. Oh, yeah. And, uh, that's yeah, my go-to snack. And what would you have to drink with your Caesar chicken Caesar wrap there, Ricky? Uh, you know, if it's, um, if we're working and keeping a PG, it'd be like, uh, I love an orange juice. Um, oh, but if, if the day is done or if it's a weekend, uh, I love a good Caesar. Right, right. Caesar. You ever get those ones that are just piled up with like chicken wings and like beans and everything? It's like a whole meal. You ever seen those? I've seen them on the internet. I've never had one yet. Yeah, I've seen them. I've never come across them. I think the fanciest I get is like a, maybe like a pickle and a celery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, my second question, and I think this question is very... Uh, suitable for you because well the first time i ever came across you uh your instagram and stuff is when you worked with uh, josh mcfadden on a project with some sea so my question is is if you had any extra or if you had fuck you money like money for just extra money what would be the first toy you went and bought oh that's a hard question <laughs> um the first thing that came to mind but i don't think it's actually it is have you ever seen those rip saws um yeah i think so are those like those three-wheeled things uh they're like mini tanks um <laughs> i'm way off <laughs> yeah they're, they're like they're like mini tanks but they rip like uh oh yeah yeah yeah. i have seen them. they come like, from like russia or something oh no those are like sherpas i think you're no, i know the sherpas but these ones have like long don't they have like long tracks right they do yeah oh, so, oh sorry i don't know where they come from uh maybe oh, it's okay. russia but yeah like um they got incredible suspension they can go anywhere but now i'm talking about that i would love like a trophy truck uh nice. to drive anywhere but i've always really wanted to get my helicopter license i think oh, that'd yeah. be a ton of fun 
yeah. and to get a helicopter. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I could, I could keep going for a long time about all the toys I want. <laughs> right on. Yeah. The, uh, our third guy there, Chase, he, uh, used to be a helicopter pilot. So see bad he wasn't on this uh, episode. You could have grilled him with a bunch of questions about flying, but, um, my third question is if uh, it's kind of, it's like a music related question. So either like what's on, you know what, I'm going to, yeah. What's on your iPod lately, or, or maybe even just go with, like, if you go to any concert today, tomorrow or tonight or something, who would you go and want to watch? Uh, these are su- super tough. Like a little bit of heads up would have been appreciated. <laughs> this, this is the point. <laughs> um, it would be between country and like classic rock. Like if I got to see like, white snake or like motley crew uh motley crew that'd be a ton of fun but also i love country uh you know like tim mcgraw or shania twain i think uh i'd really enjoy as well yeah shania twain would be great i, I just watched her um biography or whatever on netflix or paramount or something and it was uh pretty interesting she's a pretty good artist that's for sure yeah I heard she might not be singing anymore. She might like slow down the singing or something like that because of her, some condition she has. Like, yeah, she has like some throat thing, doesn't she? Yeah, you know, yeah. My, my my fiance was saying that. I uh, so I'm saying this secondhand, but it, like, apparently she had the surgery and she sounds different. She's supposed to have a tour next week. I know she's coming through Saskatoon, uh, but she doesn't sound like Shania Twain anymore. Oh, hmm. hmm. That's I guess interesting. We'll, we'll have our people reach out to Shania and, and see what we can <laughs> Let's get this sorted. <laughs> come up with. Sheldon, you're you're good there. You did your three. Yeah, those are my three. All you're right, up, you're up, buddy. Two more, two more to get through. So, Ricky, if you weren't chasing storms, what do you think you'd be doing? Wasn't that, that might be an obvious one. Pardon me. That might be an obvious one, given your Instagram and stuff like that. But like, uh, <laughs> professionally, if you if you had a career that was not. Uh, chasing storms what uh what do you think would keep you going uh you know like i love um what i love about storm chasing is it never feels like work you know it's been 10 years and uh like no bullshit there's some there's uh some nights will work till 1 2 a.m by the time we get off the road and unpack it's like 3 a.m we have to get back up at 7 to get going all over again and um we do that back to back to back throughout the storm season sometimes for like three four months on end and um it never feels like work and i love every minute of it and that's my favorite part about storm chasing is like you know that line where people are like you know uh, love what you do and never work a day in your life i always thought that was bullshit until i got to do storm chasing you don't get me wrong like i somewhat enjoyed my jobs before but there's always a little bit of like you'd wake up and be like oh, i'd rather not do this today um with storm chasing i've never felt like that like i've always uh woke up excited to do it and um so that's that's what I go to is like uh what else could I do that I would feel that way, you know anything adventure related and I get and you might I guess you might see it on my social media but like uh any adventure I can get my hands on I love to do you know whether it's uh, you know snowboarding or snowmobiling mountain biking dirt biking um and I love photography and videography with it I just I love the art form I love the challenge of having to capture those moments and convey that um and so yeah I guess. Uh, story to make it to make this long-winded answer short it'd just be i guess taking the storm chasing model because that's where you do storm chasing is we capture that footage and hopefully transfer that to another adventure um and it just gets me outdoors really you know i've spent a lot of years um working in mining uh, and i enjoyed that uh, and i also spent a lot of years working in an office sitting at a desk and um, that was a bit tougher like I, I just love being outside moving around doing something um yeah 
sorry like i I just keep doing circles and i didn't really answer the question no that's perfect and don't apologize for taking too long because uh this might not surprise you but your your buddy josh mcfadden there holds the all-time record for longest five burning question uh (laughs) he can talk he can talk (laughs) i think he was 45 minutes or something like that before it was pretty much an episode should have just been called five burning questions with josh that episode yeah he's uh he's a rad dude he's so interesting and yeah and yeah he sure can talk yeah yeah no we love him um last question here and uh feel free to disclose as much as you're comfortable with but given your uh kind of like outdoor sports um experience what's kind of like the worst injury you've come across yourself there if, if you if you could think of one um like personally i've been pretty fortunate um like all the bones have stayed inside uh but i, like, I have I, like, broken ar- broken arms broken shoulders uh torn knees um oh you know what actually um sorry bone didn't come out but this is a it's a pretty graphic story no i'm sorry it's not that graphic but like uh it sure felt graphic when it happened <clears throat> i was in sort of like a like of, of all my instances i've said like i know it's probably about 25 30 like torn broken things but um it was about six years ago i was uh so one week i was out snowboarding i was out shooting some stuff at jasper went off this cliff and landed and uh blew my acl but i got a knee brace and uh i felt okay it was my first time tearing an acl and the next week i was supposed to shoot some dirt biking back home here in saskatoon and halfway through the week i was feeling right so i was like okay well like i'll get out and see what i can fake on this dirt bike and uh yeah so <clears throat> i tore my left knee i'm knee brace on i'm on the dirt bike and putting around do a few jumps few few wheelies and feeling pretty confident doing the last wheelie and of course i called it uh it was, oh, one one more and uh that's you said one I, more idiot that's like <laughs> i crashed and uh crash is doing a small wheelie anyways i, I was fully geared up boots and everything but it hit the soft spot by the uh, the heel where it flexes, uh, the peg did, and it broke all the bones through my foot. So if this is like, if you can picture my, uh, so if you're listening, if you can picture my foot sitting straight out, the peg hit it on, like right in the middle on the side, broke all the bones through. Wow. And like, uh, you know, if you've broken a bone before, you know that uh, most people have like that sick feeling in their stomach and like that's like that gut reaction knows that something's wrong. And so um, my boot looked fine, but I could, uh, and the guy had tumbled quite a bit. Like I got in head over heels a few times, stopped moving. And I realized like something's wrong with my foot. And so uh, I ripped my boot off. I ripped my sock off. And uh, the photographer, uh, this woman I was working with, it was my first time working with her. And uh, um, she comes running up. And I'm looking at my foot and I haven't said anything yet. Cause I'm just like trying to understand like how much shit I'm in and my foot's hanging there and it's dangling. So it, the skin isn't broken, but it's like, uh, it's right tilted over cause all the bones are broken. And I'm like, Holy shit. Like this isn't like a six week recovery. Like I, and then I was thinking like, it was just me and her, her there. And I drove out my truck and like, you know, being, uh, I'm from Saskatoon now, but I grew up in a small town uh shawbrook and martinsville and so anyways it's just um what i'm getting at is i have a, a jacked up truck because uh i feel my excuse from from a small town and this is what we do and so i got a jacked up truck and the small woman she's about five feet tall she's 
out there and trying to think about like, what am I going to do about my dirt bike? How am I going to drive my truck? How am I going to get myself to hospital? Because usually I'm biking with buddies and like, right. if somebody gets hurt, everybody else is like their caregiver. And at this point, I'm like, I got to sort this out myself. And so anyways, she sees my foot and she's like, is that broken? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's broken. She's like, oh God. And she starts puking. And I was like, oh. <laughs> wow. Oh man. I was like, oh, I'm really hooped. And then, so um, I, I pulled my the pants on my bike pants and my socks off. And so something interesting, I didn't know this. Um, well, I'll tell you what I saw and then I'll tell you what I didn't know is that um, the area around the broken part started um, to turn really purple. And I assumed that was like blood pooling that area. But then that um, the purple and it's kind of mixed with like a, it was like a greenish reddish color. It started to flow up my skin and what looked like spider legs going up my leg and moving at a pretty rapid rate. It looked like I was like watching like a time-lapse. Um, like I would say within 30 to 45 seconds, it went from my ankle all the way up to my knee. And it was just climbing lines like around my leg. And I was like, uh, I, um, I'm not a doctor. Like, uh, I'm like I've, I've heard of gain green before. And like, I was like, is this what this looks like? It's like, and like, am I in like way more shit than what I thought than like just a broken foot? Anyways, it turns out after it's just that the, um, your body reacts to like a shock like that, that like it, it sends all the blood from your body to that hurt area. And um, only so much blood can fit in that area. And then the blood starts to push back out and it goes whatever direction it can. So it was just the blood escaping my foot um, from being pushed in. But um, I, it just added to the panic. So anyways, uh, I dragged myself to the truck. And sorry, I did like, um, I'm six foot five, 230 pounds. And again, this woman's like five feet tall. So she's not helping me out. And so, and she's also puking and we get over to the truck. And so I get myself into the passenger seat and we're in Martinsville. So we're about 30 minutes from the hospital here in Saskatoon. And, um, she's, she's driving me in and she's from out of town. So she doesn't, she doesn't even know how to get, to, she doesn't know how to get to the hospital. How, how so, bad is the pain at this point? Is it, is it like that or is it Okay um it was uh, it was <clears throat> it was one of those where like it becomes it becomes so bad like it's it's uh it's not quite hurting anymore That's if wild. that makes sense um and uh you know like I, I find like um and i'm sure there's an explanation but like i find like pain for me it goes like five six like seven i could tell you it's like a seven but like that eight and nine mark, I, I start to like lose the feeling, but I also get lightheaded at that at that time. Like, and that's when I know like I'm really like in trouble. But anyways, we're in the truck. I have the like Google Maps on for her and we're about three quarters of the way there. And then I start, I've never fainted in my life, but like I started to feel sleepy and I, like I started to like the truck started to like spin a little bit. And I was like, holy shit, like I'm going to faint. So I ended up fainting a little bit. Um... And I hit my foot on the ground and so that woke me up. Um, yeah, we got to the hospital. And, um, and so the reason why I told you I tore my knee is because I tore my knee on the left side. I tore my ACL. A week later, I crushed my foot on the right side. Oh, God. And I ended up, uh, and I'm, I was 30 at the time. Like, I'm 36 now. So I was 30 at the time. And I was used to, like, when bones break, you know, it's like a six, eight-week healing time. Like, it's not that bad. Um, it turns out, like, uh for bones in your feet it's it's tough to start off with because you only get so much blood flow and especially as you get older the bones take longer i found out and yeah so it ended up being like an, uh nine months to get it healed and it was wow. like a, it was over a year until i was like back moving solid on it again it was uh 
so it was just awful all around wow <laughs> that's crazy i definitely learned something there with the with the blood flow aspect of that that green kind of red blood flow coming back up the leg so i'm i'm glad i learned that because that would have freaked me out too yeah i was like oh my, my foot's broken i'm gonna lose my leg <laughs> yeah oh, man i and i uh you, you you said you said uh last jump or last ride there i i did that to my son at uh <laughs> my son's too and i did that to him at the playland or whatever it's called there and i i felt awful I was like, okay, last slide, buddy. And anyone who knows with kids with slides is like they're they're dangerous spots if you go down. So I went down next to him and I landed up running over his hand and I thought I'd broken this thing. So I was sick to my stomach, but he, he oh, was no. fine after. But he was pretty <laughs> he was pretty upset in the moment and he was like holding his hand all limp like this. And I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> Luckily we got out of that one okay. But yeah, I gave him the last last slide and never do that because that's that's when bad <laughs> shit happens. For sure. Yeah. And I get, I get so superstitious around that. Like even, uh, especially as younger, but even like, I don't being more of an adult now, like if somebody calls last, if we're doing something or shooting something, somebody calls last, whatever, a lot of times I won't even go. It's like, you know what? It's not worth it. We've already got what we need. I don't want to, uh, like I'm too old to get hurt anymore as well. So yeah, it's funny. That's kind of like when Sheldon calls last beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but he, you know he's full of shit though so yeah but that's different yeah, yeah. you know that's like 10 before the actual <laughs> <laughs> that's great Tristan you said you had one more thing before you carried on oh, uh, yeah it was just that last ride thing that oh, okay. uh, I ran over Finn's hand there felt awful nice <laughs> well not nice but yeah. uh um, but yeah, Ricky, like there's a bunch of reasons why we, we've contacted you. Like you do the, the weather chasing thing. You're in the outdoors constantly with, um, you know, extreme sports, your influencer ambassador for, for different things. There's a lot of conversation that we can have, but before we get into some of it, um, I think a lot of people often wonder how, how you get into certain positions in your life. So I'd like to like, kind of maybe rewind it all the way back to like where it all started for you. Um, you obviously seen something with the internet and Instagram and doing some sports and promoting all that stuff. But if you don't mind, like, could we go back to your roots back in Saskatchewan and how it all started where you're at now? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I'll try to make a long story short that I, um, yeah, I grew up in small towns. My mom was an RCMP officer and we moved around from small town, to small town, Saskatchewan. Um, and everywhere I went, I made friends that enjoyed, uh snowboarding and dirt biking and things like that and so you know like i grew up building snowboard ramps in my backyard and we'd be out there hauling snow from the rink every night and uh if it was summertime we we're doing the same thing with like our bmx's and dirt bikes and so i always i grew up always wanting to be uh, a professional snowboarder professional dirt biker but um with with any sport that i do uh i'm a mediocre i can do it but i'm uh like i'm not the not the greatest at anything uh that i do and so i had no hope of that um but anyways like what uh came out of high school went to university got a finance degree um uh, never used it i ended up going into um drilling i spent five years on drilling rigs um and largely because i came out of school i, I was told the university was the way to go and I came out of school and the guys I graduated with who didn't have any education were still making more money than me uh, on the rigs. And so I went to the rigs and uh, but I also like the time off, the, like the shift work, the time off. So um, for those five years, largely I had the shift of four weeks on, four weeks off. And um, so every four weeks, um, 
I had all the time and all the money in the world, you know, a single young guy in his 20s, um, that could go do anything I want to do. And so I was traveling around the world uh, doing adventures. So while I was at work, I dream up what I, how I wanted to spend my money. And so, you know, whether that was snowboarding, snowmobiling, rock climbing, whatever it may be. And, um, and I was doing photography and videography then just for the fun of it. Um, you know, that was largely before social media as well. Like, so like, uh, like Facebook for me didn't really come out to like, I, know, I think it was like 23, 24 years old. And it was still, it was pretty rough then. Like in Instagram wasn't for years after that. So it was never for social media. It was just for, I loved it. I did it as a kid too. Like I did it when, I, um, when we still had like VHS tapes and like to edit, edit videos, we would have two VH, VHS machines side by side. And so uh, I've been doing this all my life and I just, I just love doing it. I, it's, I, I love uh, trying to capture those moments and share that. And uh, yeah, so anyways, um, so doing those, doing those adventures one day uh, I was doing that and yeah, I ran into some guys that said they chase storms, they chase tornadoes. And I was like, bullshit, nobody does that. And they're like, <laughs> no, really? And they showed me a video and I was like, get out of here. Uh, you know, like, uh, lots of storm chasers. They'll tell you they've seen, they grew up watching the movie Twister and they just fell in love with storms and storm chasing. I've seen the movie Twister. I thought it was really cool. I just had no idea that people did this in real life. And uh, yeah, so I went down for one week, um, 10 years ago, 11 years ago now. And it was only meant to be like a one week adventure and keep moving on to the next thing. And uh, on that trip, we went all week. Every day was a bust. And then the last day of that trip, like I'll never forget. It was the first time uh, for me seeing a tornado. And um, what happened was, is I was driving. And the reason why I was driving, uh, lots of times I get this question, like, how do I end up driving? And, you know, it's funny, I'll get like on, like, uh, I'll get interviews with media and different things. And they're like, they'll, have, they'll say, we have, <laughs> we have professional driver, Ricky Forbes here. I'm not a professional driver. I just have my license. And uh, <laughs> the reason why I ended up as the driver for uh, our team at the time was that I showed up and um, I knew how to use cameras, but there was guys there who knew how to use cameras better than me. And I didn't know how to read weather whatsoever at the time. And so they put me in the driver's seat and that's where I was most comfortable anyway, because when shit hits the fan, I like to have my life in my own hands. And yeah, um, yeah so anyway, so uh, I get up there storm chasing. We come through this massive hail core. And so it was like golf ball, baseball size hail, cracking the windows, rocking the truck. It's my first time going through something like that heavy. Uh, and I was already terrified. And we came out on the other side. And like I said, I'll never forget it felt like, uh, and so we came on the site where we saw this monster tornado, this monster wedge tornado. And by wedge, like, I mean, it's just a, a really wide tornado. And tornadoes are on a scale of zero to five. So EF zero to EF five, zero being the smallest, five being the biggest. This was an EF four sitting in front of us. And it was just huge. It was over a mile wide. It was in this field right in front of us. And it was just digging like a drill bit into the soil. It came upon this grove of trees right away, you know, like, like massive trees that are 30, 40 feet tall. And it was just picking them up like toothpicks. It's like, unlike anything I've ever seen before. And I was just so in awe and disbelief if, and terrified. Like it, it felt like, you know, when you're a kid and you're concerned that there's something in the closet or there's something underneath your bed. And then with the feeling was like having that concern and then actually looking under the bed and realizing that the boogeyman is real. And being like, and then going to go on from there. And so 
Yes, yeah, so we we saw I saw my first tornado that day, and I just fell in love. And you know, it sounds it sounds corny, but it's just one of the most powerful, beautiful, amazing things. You know, uh, you know, for you guys, anybody listening, like I'm sure you've had a weather event, or a, you know, even a sunset, or just a, a lightning show that it just it, it stops in your tracks, your speeches. You're like, this is this is incredibly beautiful, and. Um, and I know, like, I just, I just think it's something that really uh, brings people together. And, uh, and I've, I, you know, I've heard this kind of statement from many other people, storm chasers and non-storm chasers. And um, yeah, it just, it never gets old. Every storm for me, I find is different. And uh, even if we're not shooting footage, you know, sometimes um, we've shot all we need to for a day and we're just out there just enjoying it. And we're still storm chasing just because we love it. And um, yeah, so that, I don't know. Sorry. Long story short, that's how I got into storm chasing. <laughs> right on. You know, that, I'm glad that you told that little uh, story or about it because it, so many questions I have now for you. Um, <clears throat> like one of the things like being outdoors all the time, there's one thing that we often look at before we go outside is the weather. And you did mention like at that time you couldn't like read the weather and obviously the technology for storm chasers is huge. But um, I guess my first question would be like, how do you even know, when there's going to be a storm like obviously you look at stuff on the internet if or maybe it isn't obvious but you look at like weather stations and like oh yeah there's a huge storm coming in but then from there you guys must have something else that you read to like pinpoint where maybe a tornado might touch down can you like tell us about that but dumb it down so i understand what you're talking about <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely so um you know first like uh most of our work is in the states i would say about like five percent of our work is in canada uh, the main reason is, is just because um, the majority of tornado alley is down in the States. You know, some of tornado alley does touch up into Canada and we've had our fair share of big tornadoes, but like uh, tornado alley in the States, uh, they get the most tornadoes in the world, an average of 1300 to 1500 tornadoes a year where Canada will get around, you know, 150 to 200 tornadoes. But that's, that's split between Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and then Ontario, um gets many in their uh, little section like around toronto and the great lakes area um so anyways, more tornadoes down in the states and bigger tornadoes uh there's this um so for that reason we spend much more time working the states but another factor that plays into that is that their uh weather systems their radar systems uh are are around 20 to 30 years ahead of what we are here in canada and so the information that we can get down there for storms coming in and that the general public can get as well um, is far more advanced than what we have here in Canada. And the truth is, you know, um, you know, it's a bit, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I don't want to be a bit too, what's the word? Um, not ruthless, like uh, insensitive about this, but the truth is <clears throat> we just, we don't have enough fatalities from storms up here uh, is ultimately what it comes out. You know, like, I, or, or maybe enough, uh, maybe a better way to put that is in, uh, enough lives that can be threatened by it. Because it's really when, you know, it seems that when governments act on things, it tends to be around that kind of area. And when it has them to somebody's livelihood. Anyways, down in the States, it's much more populated, especially the areas that are getting hit by storms. And so, you know, many more people are affected every year by storms down in the States. So that's why they get more funding for their weather system. So <clears throat> our strategies are different in uh, U.S. and Canada. So uh, down in the U.S., I can tell you about two weeks ahead of time, 
you know, for certain, if we're going to have a storm system coming in and that's, uh, we're getting that data right from the U S government, uh, forecasters they're, you know, they're talking about a low pressure system. They're telling us about the gesturing that's going on and, uh, a few other variables. And so taking those different variables together, we know what it takes to create these storm systems. And so if we see those variables adding up and uh, we will keep our eye on it. So, you know, right now if we're sitting here and uh, actually storms are happening right now, just like two days ago was a pretty large tornado day down in Oklahoma and, or last night, pardon me. Um, and so storms are starting to happen. So we could be sitting here right now and odds are, if we had a look, I could tell you, you know, if we have a storm system coming in in two weeks and if we do, if we were a team, we would, uh, you know, keep that area open. And then in a week, we would have, uh, well, sorry, we would keep having a look. But essentially, in a week, I could tell you whether or not we're going to go. And because uh, sometimes, you know, either that storm system jumps over, you know, many states, like over to the East Coast or the West Coast, um, and then it falls apart. Because, um, sorry, it also uh, largely needs to land on um, Tornado Alley or Dixie Alley. So Tornado Alley is like Texas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Kansas, kind of like if you look at the uh, you look at the United States, kind of right up the center of the United States, it's like pretty much right below Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba um, is that area. So it has to land in that area. Um, and the reason for that is this flatlands. So, you know, if you ever hop in your car and you drive from where you guys are, where I am, if you drive right down to Texas, it all looks pretty much the same. It's all very flat. And that's the first thing you need for these big storms to really uh, take off is they need to be over flat lands, uh, the right landscape for that to happen. And it also helps that much of the landscape uh, running along um, what they call them the plains, but running along the prairies is they have uh, their own mountain system. You know, like what we have up here in Canada for the Rockies and Alberta, that line pretty much runs all the way down into uh, Colorado, Utah, that type area. And so they get a cold uh airflow comes off of that sorry i'm getting a bit uh on a tangent here this is perfect, uh, man. This is perfect. coming <laughs> back to it uh tornado alley and then there's dixie alley right over from that so that's like mississippi alabama uh, louisiana um so there's a bit more rolling lands there but they still are able to produce uh tornadoes and so something about these storm systems is um the reason why the biggest storms, the biggest storms uh, and the biggest tornadoes in the world happen in those areas primarily is because of the Gulf of Mexico. The Gulf of Mexico creates this moisture, creates this heat that funnels up into that, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, Mississippi, um, Louisiana, that whole area. And uh, that really makes like a powder keg of, uh, of a weather environment. And something interesting about the weather system is that um, it typically works that around right now, the storms are firing up in the Texas, Oklahoma area. And um, because that heat's coming off that Gulf of Mexico. And as the season goes on, that heat moves north. And so usually the way it works for us is that we're chasing the end of March, uh, April in those areas. And then we follow that the storm systems all the way up until the end of the year. So, you know, we're moving up the map into Kansas, uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana. And then finally, by like, uh, you know, end of June, July, August, we're back into Canada, just following that heat uh, all the way back. Hmm. Um, wow. so, yeah. So that's how we, that's how we track. Uh, sorry. We track in the States um, circling back. Just to answer your question. Mm -hmm. I can tell you a week out where that storm system is going to hit. I can say, you know what? Uh, it's going to be in Oklahoma. We're going to head down there. And as we're going down, we're going to keep watching that. And it might jump over 
uh, a state, you know, it might hit into Texas or might hit into um, Kansas or Nebraska. And then we have time to adjust. Um, and then we'll, we'll get there. And um, with the radars now we can pinpoint, you know, within to like um, a quarter of a state. And so like essentially a quarter of a province of where that storm system is going to be happening the next day. And so we typically try to find um, a place to stay in the middle of that target area. We wake up, we have a look, if we've nailed it, we stay where we are. Um, and sometimes, you know, we might be a three or four hour drive off the mark. We hit the road and get going. You know, storm systems usually don't fire up until about 2, 3 p.m. anyway. So we have that morning to reposition. And that's typically the way it works. And um, it largely works that same way in Canada, just not as fine-tuned. And we we make more mistakes in Canada just because the radar systems just quite aren't, aren't as accurate, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It does make sense. Um, Tristan, I got a few questions here. I got to fire off. I wrote them down. I got to fire them off here quick. <laughs> um, first of all, I'm like, I'm in the trade. I'm an alignment by trade. So I've dealt with a lot of the aftermath with trandos in Manitoba, for instance. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. we've, we've, we've had, you know, a few, quite a few in the last, I don't know. I've been with, with doing my uh, job for about 15 years. So I guess the question I'm going to ask you is that how is there a significant change with tornadoes in say uh in into canada throughout the last like 20 years i know you've only been in fresh so long but you probably know a lot of people just because like i talked to other linemen like oh yeah we've never had tornadoes like this like we've had in the last 10 years is that something that's true or is it just like we just didn't hear about them because of technology right if one happens in you know saskatoon tomorrow i would hear about it tomorrow morning because of technology right so i I don't know if you're understanding my question because I've been, been blabbing on here, but do you think like tornadoes in Canada and Manitoba, Saskatchewan and stuff have been here for as long as tornadoes have been, or do you think there's something changing that is pushing them north? <clears throat> yeah, no, I think that um, it's a really good question. And so uh, yeah, the, the first go-to is this, that um, with technology and smartphones now that we're hearing about it a lot more because people um, have that camera in their pocket that they can take that photo, they can post it on social media. And I think there's also something to be said about like the frequency. So like, you know, I like uh, if, uh, if all three of us take that photo and all, you know, and plus, you know, the hundred other people and farmers and the community that are around and we all put that on social media, even if it's just one tornado, it feels like a whole bunch of tornadoes happen. Um, and, you know, um, 10 years ago before smartphones were decent um if nobody had if nobody had a smartphone there odds are nobody got that photo and if that trainer only touched down on an open field and didn't harm anybody uh lots of times it wouldn't even get reported mm. and so um because of social media and because of that um it's hard to say if if it's changed at all like you know um these kind of, these size trainers have definitely been in canada before um you know there's like black friday um have 86 or 87 in edmonton it was ef4 or ef5 shoot um usually i know but yeah it's massive tornado uh went through the edge uh on the edge of uh edmonton yes ef4 and ef5 so really massive tornado really far north um in 2007 you guys had that eli manitoba tornado that was an ef5 i think that's like i think that's the largest tornado ever to hit canada actually um so these tornadoes do happen um but it, it's it's also really hard to tell um because like in the science it's so young it's only been they've only been keeping track for around 100 years or so 
and so with that and then smartphone technology and um, you know lost times in storm chasing too there's a lot of people that put out content about storms um saying this happened but it didn't actually happen if if that makes sense like um there's just there's some people out there like uh, i've had like my content uh taken and somebody will send me a screen grab and they'll be like, hey, somebody stole your tornado photo. And he said, this is a tornado that happened so-and-so. And this happened yesterday when it's a, a photo that's four years old. Um, right. So like, it's also that kind of skews people's view on it. Uh, but that said, um, like I have a finance degree, so I, I can't talk to you about climate change. And so uh, I'm not going anywhere on that. But what, what I what I do know, though, is that the weather patterns are changing. I've been doing it long enough now to know like um, something's different, something different's happening um, that out of uh, from my experience and the people that I storm chase with, you know, there's some people who've been doing, I deal with who've been doing for 20, 25 years and they haven't seen this before either. Is like, um, for example, Tornado Alley is moving east. Uh, so down in the States in the last two years, um, Dixie Alley has gotten more action than Tornado Alley. And so Dixie Alley, uh, again, that's like Louisiana. It's like it borders Texas. and Oh, it's like it borders Texas and Oklahoma. It's like Arkansas, Louisiana, like those states. Um, usually they get a few offshoot tornadoes, but now they're getting, um, sorry, they're not, it's not overtaking Tornado Alley, but it, last year I think it got just as many tornadoes as Tornado Alley did. So I think they got like 600, 700 type thing. And so um, that's the last two years. That's the, it's starting to look like a trend if that happens again this year and um so that is saying something and you know like last year um tornadoes in saskatchewan have always been difficult to storm chase and they rarely happen north of saskatoon and um last year i chased three tornadoes um and the truth is all by accident because like don't get me wrong. I love storms, but like last year I did a hundred days on the road. And by the time I got home, I was like, okay, like now I got a, uh, and like last year, my fiance, um, was going through cancer and she's just finishing up here. So I was on the road a lot. And when I did get home, I was like, okay, now I got to hundred percent be home. I'm not looking at the weather. Uh, and so like three times I was outside doing yard work, whatever else. And I saw the, like, what looks like a storm system moving through, had a look at my radar and I caught a tornado within a half an hour of Saskatoon three times last year. And, uh, I, I've never heard of that happening. Like I grew up in this area and I've been storm chasing for 10 years. And if I was ever going to catch a tornado in Saskatchewan, we had to go South, like nearly to Regina, uh, in that, and like in that Southern Saskatchewan area. Uh, and so if, like, I mean, two hours South, if, if you don't know the area, but, um, so that something's changing here as well. Um, so some, sorry, I keep getting long-winded on these, but that something's happening for sure. It's, it's not just social media. It's not just smartphones. The weather is changing. It's changing down there. It sure feels like it's changing up here as well. Something, something's up. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess the other thing too, is like you did mention something about, and this can, this is probably going to get into a little bit of the meat of potatoes of what is exactly what you do. Like, obviously you chase tornadoes, but like there's, you guys are obviously influenced by um, certain companies and, and funding from whoever, but like, how does that work? Like if I, if Tristan and I were like, you know, fuck it, we're not going to do panoramic anymore. We're going to start chasing tornadoes. Like what, what's the purpose of it? I mean, what's the purpose of your job? So for storm chasers, um, you know, there's, there, there's a lot, 
there's there's some storm chasers that storm chase uh, and they say they're storm chasing for science and um you know as far as i know that's the a large portion of science that could be done for storm chasing was actually done in the days when twister was made so twister came out i think it was like 96 or so and uh, something interesting is a lot of the ideas on twister were taken from a real life situation a guy named tim samaris he had so he had built something like Dorothy. If you, if you remember Twister, they had it was called yeah. Dorothy, and then these little uh like uh, weather nodes that were gonna go up and measure like wind speed and, and pressure and precipitation, all these things. And um what he had uh was it, it was like a turtle, he called it a turtle, and it was just a little flat dome, and so you could put this on he would put it on pavement, and so if the winds came over it would be aerodynamic and the winds would go over top, and so he did end up getting it inside a tornado. And when a pressure, when the pressure got to a certain amount, it would release these nodes that he had inside. And so he took weather warnings. His research took weather warnings from around forty minutes. Uh, sorry, like around around five to ten minutes is what it was before he got this. And so five ten minutes. If somebody told you in ten minutes the train was hitting, well, it's not enough time to like find your kids, find your family, and figure out a, a, a plan. He got it to around around forty forty five minutes. So you had about a half an hour into the morning, which makes all all the difference you can leave a community in that amount of time usually and so um anyways um the science that he did then um there hasn't been much for improvements ever since and so again i'm not a scientist but it just leads me to believe you know like there's lots of storm chasers uh out there saying they're doing science and they they say on social media like uh, we, i have competition and they talk about getting stuff into these storms um but nothing's changed everything like, everything's still the same and it has like it has that has been for years and years and so um so anyways the storm chasers that say they're doing it for science um and then the other side of it is the storm chasers are out there um and they call them like um you know just um a more extreme version of a journalist essentially it's so we're out there we're capturing footage we're capturing photos we're capturing videos and uh, we're also live streaming this content and so um when we're live streaming you know there is a few you know sort of not a few like, there's a large portion of the audience that's there um for the reality television bit of it all because we have like multiple cameras like this right here one's outside one's inside and we're telling them what we're doing and why we're doing it and lots of times they're weather enthusiasts themselves and so they have the radar pulled up and even if they're you know like uh, on the other side of the world they can chime in on youtube or whatever and say you guys are making a mistake you should have gone down this road or whatever and that's a ton of fun and that's really cool you could do with technology now because when i started that wasn't a thing at all and um, but there's also people who watch it because these storms are affecting their area and so uh, which is scary for them but the same, like at the same time um there's, there's a feeling of purpose in what we're doing and in uh, other storm chasers do this uh as well in that um uh, people are watching our live stream you know we'll get like 10 20 30 40 000 people watching our live stream during those chases and uh, they're asking questions like hey is it going to hit this community is it going to hit this community and we can look it up and be, okay like um this is what you should be looking out for. Uh, we think this could be happening. Like, uh, like stay in touch or keep watching. Um, and we have, we've had instances last year where uh, people were watching the tornado is about to hit their town and they're asking us what to do, which is a super terrifying question. Like um, it felt like at that moment, their lives were in our hands. Cause they did like uh, this one question. Like I'll never forget this lady. She didn't have a shelter. She didn't have a basement. 
And so, which is your first two ideas. And after that, you want to pick the smallest room, uh, ideally towards the center of your house. Um, just that there's more stability. The tornado uh, is going to hit the outside of your house first and then hopefully not uh, hit so hard in the middle. And so like, hit, like underneath the set of stairs, the bathroom. Uh, anyway, she ended up hiding in her bathtub. Her house did get wiped out. Um, but it was a couple of weeks later, she... Uh, hop back on our live stream and yeah, just said like remind us who she was and told us what happened. And um, yeah, it was just, it was pretty cool. That she got through it. So anyway, sorry, uh, storm chasers, they do it for the, the footage, the photos. Um, they do it for the live streaming. They do it for the science. Uh, many do it just cause they love it. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting. So we do it for the, the you know, like um, what they like to call like the extreme journalism, the, the footage, uh, and like I said, the live streaming as well. But like when we started, social media um, was was barely a thing and um, smartphones didn't exist when I started. And so something interesting was when, when I first started Storm Chasing 11 years ago, it was 2012. It doesn't seem that long ago, but like with technology, it seems like worlds away because um, without smartphones, the cameras that we had were like, Ten, fifteen thousand dollar cameras that we had out there, so it was a huge barrier to entry to even do this kind of stuff. Uh, that if you wanted to be out there doing this, you so like we only had like you know one or two other uh teams that were competing with us, and we were selling our footage uh to news channels to so news networks, we were selling them to like Nat Geo, Planet Earth, whenever they would show storm footage, uh, some of that footage would be ours. And that's how we were making uh, money. We we found a lot of pride in what we did. But once smartphones came out, uh, people never people don't pay for footage anymore because uh, we'll be out there getting a shot. But then there's a farmer or somebody else getting the exact same shot, and you know maybe it's not quite the same quality. But if you can get it for free from him versus whatever it would cost from us, well, you're going to take it for free. And so. Um, yeah, that's when it changed things. And so like, we never started to do it for social media, but like you keep looking for ways to make an income. And um, we started building up on social media, building our, our followership. And um, in the beginning, it, um, there was no reason. Sorry, man. I'm on a, on a complete different, like, no, no, no. Keep going, man. Sure. <laughs> don't, um, don't say sorry, man. That, that, there's a, so much information. It's, it's so good. Yeah. As long as I'm boring you guys. No. Um, yeah, so it was, ne- it was never it was never for social media. And in fact, I wasn't, uh, I really wasn't a fan of social media in the beginning. And, uh, but we would, uh, something, uh, it was, um, it was somewhat handed to us. What I mean by that uh, is that for storms, you know, whether you're five or you're 75, no matter what walk you come from, what language you speak, um storms really appeal to anybody and so our um versus like you know like i've shot dirt biking and snowboarding like not a whole lot of people care about that stuff but storms um like our following just grew so fast um and so that, that just happened without intention and uh at first we're like well we we weren't even sure what we could do with it because like at the time when when that was happening like influencers weren't a thing and so right. he um we said okay yeah that's cool we have we have these followers like hopefully this can help us like get more people watching our tv show so we can keep doing this and um 
Uh, but anyways, we kept, we kept building our followers. We, we were hoping that something could come of that in the future as we saw like our income, uh, we were losing income with selling the footage. And so we were using that social media platform um, to get more speaking gigs. Sometimes it would help us out with sponsor deals. Uh, but at that time, um, it barely was because even sponsors weren't seeing the value. They didn't know, like, how do you translate this into business results? And, and at the time, I was like, well, I don't know. And uh, so <laughs> it didn't sell too well. And uh, like, now that's my whole life. But then it was just so different. And um, yeah, and so <clears throat> social media was building up. And the uh, the phones came out. And so, you know, since we're going down this road, I'm, I'm giving you guys the whole novel version now. Um, we were, it was the second year uh, or the second year of my storm chasing that um, we get the idea that we're going to pitch for a TV show. We're going to try pitching for a TV show. Somebody told us that we need to make a teaser. And so we need to make like five, seven minute, five to seven minute teaser uh, sizzle reel of what this could be like. And so, we uh, we asked around and we found uh, a producer shooter who could come out with us and uh, spend the week. And so we put our money together. We hired this guy to come out with us for a week and everything was going OK. You know, we caught a few tornadoes, a few storms, but nothing like extraordinary. And uh, it was the second last day of having him with us that we got caught inside a tornado. And it's the only time that we've been caught inside tornadoes. Most terrifying moment of my life like we were we were all certain we were gonna uh not make it through and um it also uh so it's 2013 it turned out to be the world's largest tornado on record and it still is it was over four kilometers wide so uh you know if you're in the states over 2.6 miles wide it's over four kilometers wide on the ground like a tornado as far as you could see where most tornadoes like a big tornado is like a kilometer wide and but you can still see a left and right side and it's a ways away this that you just you couldn't see where it start, started and stopped and uh and we realized it too late uh because what happened was is that this uh we have we have, we, we shot all this is this tornado drops down the middle of this open field it might have been like a quarter kilometer wide at that point so not very big but it looks good and we're getting our footage and um we uh hop in the truck and we go to move position uh because it starts to rain a little bit and we're because lots of like um right beside these tornadoes lots of times there's rain involved in these storms and we don't want to get caught in the rain because we can't get footage because we get water on our lens and everything else and so we want to get out of that rain the rain starts coming down and we waited a bit too long um and that rain really hit us hard and it comes with high winds within these storms because even outside the train there's lots of winds involved in these storms and um as this was hitting us we're looking out the window and we can see like, there's light rain hitting us uh uh sorry in a regular sense it's heavy rain but for us it's light rain compared to what the storm could really bring and we look over and we can see that there's large, there's this massive wall of rain and it's all moving horizontal, like straight horizontal. And uh, we were, we were all pretty confused on what was, what was happening. Like that's that, like, it's not just winds blowing that, like, uh, sorry, it's not, it's not just, like if it was winds from the storm, it'd be a, some sort of diagonal down to the earth, uh, but it was straight sideways. And if not going back up into the storm, and then we realized it was this whole thing was a tornado and that we were right beside. We just didn't know how big it was at the time. And uh, yeah, we were uh, like, uh, at the time I was driving and driving away as fast as we could. And this, uh, this tornado, um, you know, like, 
sorry, I, I just get chills talking to you about these few stories in my life where like, I just like, it just takes me right back to it. I'll never forget like this. this so were, top- were you in the, were you in the middle of it right now? Like where, where, what part of the tornado were you? So, you- so right, sorry, at this moment, we're right on the edge. So it's just starting to come up and hit us. And like, so it's rocking the truck and like, uh, it's like we're fishtailing on this gravel road and it's really hard to handle it. I can see, um, there's homes beside us, and I know like, I know they're empty because like, we we handed out what we gave out the warnings to everybody in the area. Everybody got to safety, but these homes are getting fully torn apart. Like uh, half a home all of a sudden gets ripped up and it gets thrown over top of our truck, and these winds are starting to come up and it hits our windshield wipers, and our windshield wipers stopped working because they didn't have enough pressure to go down against the wind pressure. And there's a moisture in these winds, and it's carrying dust because these these tornadoes are super dusty and because we're grabbing dirt and so now it's like uh like uh, we get metal over the windshield and uh they start to see some farm machinery rolling through the field and um and then all and uh, all of a sudden the pressure changes and so so i mentioned this before with the whole dorothy thing and uh, the pressure changing inside a tornado if you, if you don't know this the pressure changes inside a tornado and the reason why it does is because these tornadoes um these storms, sorry, storms that create tornadoes are called supercells. And so these supercells are actually 40, 50, 60, 70,000 feet tall. And so I find that really interesting because when we see imagery of the tornadoes, or if we see a tornado in real life, lots of times all that we see is like between three to 5,000 feet. Like that's up to that cloud base is what we're seeing. And we're like, holy shit, that's a big tornado. That is a small nub of what's actually happening up in the sky. Cause that that's only 5,000 feet. There's still like another 60,000 feet of what's really happening. Like a massive turbine above us is happening up in that supercell. Sorry. So it brings that pressure from that area down to the ground. So, you know, like when you go up in a plane, the pressure changes a pop into your ears. That's because you're flying at 35, 40,000 feet. That pressure gets brought down to the ground from that tornado. And so that's why, so our ears popped. And uh, at the time, actually, it was my second year here. And I didn't even know that. I didn't know that the pressure changed inside a tornado. And my ears pop. And the guys with me were more experienced. They've been doing it for years. And they're like, holy shit, like we're inside the tornado. Um, one guy started saying his goodbyes. And I'm still like, at this, I'm still a junior. Like I was, uh, sort of give you a bit more reference. Like I was 26 at the time. Uh, another guy's 36. And another guy was like 42. And so like, um i felt like i was like you know i'm just the rookie i'm i'm, I'm putting my life in you guys hands like and i thought we were cool and we were cool up until that point because we had caught like 60 70 tornadoes together um but then at that point when you know one guy starts saying goodbye another guy says sorry you know like we've made a mistake and it's like holy shit like i haven't heard this before and uh were you driving went from being exciting to scary uh to um to being sad once i realized like we were in this tornado um i also all at the same time like so we were inside the tornado for like just under like 45 50 seconds but it felt like forever and i put us down in this ditch there was like a v-shaped ditch so it was super rough like we ran we had an f-150 we ramped it into the ditch and we we're banging from side to side um but it was uh it was just i was sad I was sad because um, I, I was certain that we were going to pass away. And it was just, I, I, I love storm chasing. I love pushing the limits, but it certainly wasn't worth losing my life over. And um, yeah, I, I'll, and I'll, I'll never forget, like we're going down the ditch and I was, I was thinking those thoughts and I was, I was crying a bit. 
and um, our windows getting smashed out and there's um, homes being ripped apart. And then like a scene on a twister, this farm truck, this farm truck, it's old, like two ton grain farm truck. It's picked up and it felt like slow motion and it's too bad. Like we don't have it on footage. Cause when I hit the ditch, all of our power cables to our cameras got disconnected and therefore stopped all the recording. It's just the way our cameras were set up at the time. They're not anymore, but um, they were. So this isn't all recording, uh, but the other guys saw it too. So I'm not lying that this farm truck was slowly rotating through the air. It was about two, three stories up. And um, yeah, I remember looking at it and thinking that it was like a seat out of Twister and it was just everything was so and i also remember looking at it and thinking if that farm truck's up in the air for sure we're going next like there's no reason why we're still on the ground and uh that farm truck came out of the sky landed in the ditch like right in front of us and all, the, my only choice i had was to get us back on the road and as i go to get back on the road i didn't realize that there was an approach coming up and we hammered this approach and i laughed because it wasn't my truck so that's okay uh we hammered this approach and like I don't know. Like I was going, I was, I have no idea our speed. Like I was going as fast as we could um, trying to get out of this tornado. So I'm not sure, you know, if we were going 70, 80 kilometers an hour down that ditch uh, or maybe faster, hit that approach, ramped the truck, landed on the other side, like almost in the other ditch. And then uh, we ended like with a cracked axle after that, but we got out um, super scary, but we shot the teaser and uh the guy in the back with the camera had his camera on for most of it and uh for about three quarters of it and like his story wasn't connected to a power thing but he was getting bounced around so much that it was a uh, pretty shaky footage uh, but most of it was usable that until that point storm chasing you know would hit the news once in a while uh but that was the world's largest tornado and it hit a city and it was on it was um it was all over the world and we had some of the best footage and it was just um it was just right place right time and um we we put that footage out and uh by the next week uh, a production company from toronto gave us a shout and said hey listen we were looking to make a storm chasing show um are you guys interested and we're like well matter of fact and we had the sizzle reel all ready to go we sent it to them two weeks later they were out here in saskatchewan and we started shooting and wow. uh yeah, so it all it all moved really fast, and um, when we when the show started, the um, they were, they were really excited about. It. We were really excited about. It. We thought we had something unique, and they uh, they thought it was going to be a three to five year run. And uh, the truth, uh, the the show was canceled after two years. And so <clears throat> I know, uh, sorry, I know you introduced me as being part of the TV show Tornado Hunters. In a sense, I could I could still say that because I was like a part of that show, and it's still like the show still airs like on Spike TV and Do TV. So like I still say that, and I also say it for the marketing point of it, uh, still sounds cool. But we haven't filmed for a number of years. Um, that all that said, though, we're actually this close away to a new storm chasing show. I've spent the last year develop uh, working with the team developing it. And we find out in the next like week um, if it's good to go. So this is the closest we've been in a long time. Um, but yeah, so I mean, no, I'm going anymore. Sorry, guys. Um, oh, that was awesome. 
I mean, it was it was terrifying just listening to. It. And did did you really use the expression "right place, right time" to be to describe being in the the world, the middle of the world's largest tornado at the at the time? <laughs> it's funny. I've actually I've used that comment a few times, and nobody's ever called me on that. Um, that's it's not what I meant. I mean, like uh, we just happened to have the footage, and we were there. yeah. If we weren't there and we weren't recording that footage, we would never. My my future would have had a, a completely different trajectory. Yeah, that's yeah. what. Oh man, and so when you say team, like who who are you working alongside with? Like everyone's got their different role. I'm assuming or kind of a role within the team. What what's that kind of look like? And is that kind of like standard for the the storm chasing kind of um, scene, or does each kind of squad have their own thing going on? Yeah. So. It, Everybody does do differently. And, um, and so our team has evolved. So there used to be myself and two other guys. Uh, it's like on the, if you ever see the show, it's myself, a guy named Chris Chittick and a guy named Greg Johnson. And so now it's just, uh, myself and Chris doing it, uh, together. And, um, so the way that Chris and I work right now is that Chris handles, uh, the weather and driving largely. I also chip in on the weather, uh, but I, I largely handle everything else. Like, um, so the social media side, the live streaming, um, capturing the content so we can make the YouTube videos and the reels um, and everything else. So largely he's, um, he's making sure that we get to the right spots and I'm taking care of like all the marketing and like income opportunities that can come from what we're doing. Ideally, it is a three-person team. Uh, like, there's just so much to do, and uh, we're even a four-person team. Like, the more, the more that you can spread those jobs apart, uh, the better it all goes. Um, but for sure, um, it is a smart move to have multiple people on your team. And so, like, I don't want to call out any storm chasers, but you know, like, there there is some people out there that chase with just one person, and I would argue that it's impossible to chase with one person and do it safely because. If you're trying to drive at 100 kilometers an hour or however fast you want to go down a washed out gravel road while you're reading roadmaps and weather maps and you're trying to get footage and live stream because they all try to do it, uh, it's impossible. Like it's 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 chaotic with two people. And so um, like uh, one person is it's uh, it's pretty dangerous. Uh, I wouldn't do that road. Two people also isn't enough. Like ideally we would have like a three or four person team. Um, and hopefully we'll get to that this year. Nice. Okay. I'm I'm still hung up on this world's biggest tornado thing. Like how did you know you were out of that thing? Like how when did that when did that hit? Like yeah, kinda, that's uh kind of had a kiss the ground moment or like what what happened there? It um yeah, even even when we got out, I didn't uh you could see in the footage too, like I still like I had the truck pinned and I was still going probably for another like five, 10 minutes uh, before I truly believed the guys that were out. Cause like at this point, um, cause I, again, I didn't, I didn't know how to read weather that well. I know I'm a year into storm chasing, but like I left that on them and I did what I did. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so I didn't believe them. They, they got me into an, uh, an area where I just about lost my life. And they're like, they're telling me they're like, Rick, you were out of the train you can slow down. And I wasn't slowing down. I was like, I, like, I don't know. I don't, like, I can't, I'm not going to look around. I just, I just want to go. And I just, uh, cause like when it comes to, uh, and I was going South and when it comes to storms, like uh, the majority of uh, storms, the majority of tornadoes move either North uh, East or in a Northeasterly fashion. 
Um, and then it's the opposite for the Southern hemisphere. And, uh, it's, and it's just because uh, where that weather's coming from. It's like, you know, like the heat's coming off the Gulf of Mexico, it's driving north and therefore it's driving storms north. And once in a while, there are storms that will dip south, but they largely, um, storms start south and they move north. Um, so I was going south and uh, yeah, finally, when I finally did pull over, yeah, like, uh, it's just, um, there's many moments in my life that I, I have forgotten, but I'll never forget that. Like I was just, I, I, I was shaking and, uh, and I couldn't stop shaking for like probably at least like 20, 30 minutes. And um, it was just so surreal. I, I guess I, I didn't quite believe that we made it through. And um, I was really sh- shooken up. And, and then after, it's not funny, it really sucked, is that, so uh, where this happened was a place called El Reno, Oklahoma. And we ended up going to this uh, other city called Chickasha. I don't know, I think it's like an hour and a half away or so uh, by, by the time we got there. And um, we needed Wi-Fi so we could upload our footage uh, because that, that was the name of the game then. Um, is that you want to upload that footage as fast as you can so you can get sold to news outlets because people are going to want that. And so we stopped at McDonald's and uh, we were parked outside. Somebody went inside to upload the footage on the McDonald's Wi-Fi. And I was sitting there in the truck and usually I would help out, but I, was, uh, I wasn't too helpful that day. I remember I was staring out the window and this little needle drops down from the ground and is hitting a neighborhood right in like 300 feet in front of us. And I look over and I was like, is that a, is that a fucking tornado? And like, oh, they're like, like it is. And I was, the one guy's like, we got to shoot. And I was like, no, I was like, absolutely not. I was like, get in the truck. We're all leaving. Like, and we ended up, we drove away from it. I was like, I, I was just so sick of it. I couldn't do it anymore. And they, cause that day, like it was like 40 or 50 tornadoes dropped down that area that day. And, oh man. And like, after that, um, you know, something that storm. um, I, I don't want to call it a negative effect, uh, but it's been a tough effect of storm chasing is what is done to like my adrenal glands. Um, and sorry, not, it sounds goofy, but um, I think all my life I've, uh, I, I think I love adventure, but I would, I would say a lot of it's adrenaline fuel, but when I don't only do it for the adrenaline, but like, um, but you know, like when you skydive or whatever you're doing, that adrenaline might last for 30 seconds, a minute, maybe two minutes kind of thing storm chasing um that was a, like initial draw like my first tornado for example it was on the ground for three hours the adrenaline rush lasted for three hours like you're just on fire and um and the same it was like and it was the same thing for that uh world's largest tornado and like um lots of storms and i remember that world largest tornado like i slept for like nearly three days straight after that because you're so like exhausted um and it was all super cool um, until actually like around the same time that the show got canceled is when I tore my knee and I broke my foot. And so lost the show, lost my ability to walk for a little bit. And um, like when we were storm chasing, you would get a, you would get an adrenaline fix, like, I don't know, nearly once a week, if not more. And I went to like none at all. And uh, I actually got really depressed uh, for quite a while and had no idea why. And I went to counselors and everything and, and finally sorted it out that that um, was largely the issue. I just, I accustomed my body to something that wasn't happening anymore. And um, yeah, fuck, sorry, guys, again, I, I just get off on these, like, lo- these thoughts. No, I, that, like, that's wild. 
That's great thoughts. Yeah. The, the other thing I was going to mention or ask is uh, talking about like your team and stuff. And obviously people have come and gone and it's ebb and flowed whatever way, but <clears throat> one of the biggest pieces probably to your team is your, your vehicle. Can you like, what do you like, what do you guys do for vehicles? Like, do you guys like soup them up or put in like extra protection? Like after that's the world's biggest storm, I'm sure you had some ideas to maybe keep the windows intact or something like, is there any, anything you guys do to your pickups or yeah yeah like there's um there's lots that we do uh but the the truth is though no matter how badass you can make a vehicle and like uh and i'm sure you like you've seen the tanks you may have seen the tanks before you know uh they've been on like Mythbusters and they've been like on jay Leno, jay garage and things like that actually uh do you guys know where melville is Yep, Saskatchewan. Uh, Melville, Saskatchewan. Yeah, one of the tanks is from uh, Melville, Saskatchewan. Oh, no way. Yeah, the guy's named Sean Schofer. So, yeah, it's super, super cool. And so, uh, it's a, I believe it's built on an F350 body and it has a, a, a second axle in the back. So, big steel tank, like an uh, inch thick uh, steel plating that uh, will come down to the ground. It's got spikes and like hydraulics. It's a, a really, really cool custom. Uh, made vehicle and um, so they have had a few instances where they've gotten uh, that vehicle inside a tornado and um, so the concept can work um, however it does that concept can work if it works perfectly um, but they also run a risk and you know they might argue otherwise but my feelings are like if you leave any room for air to get underneath you're leaving vulnerabilities and so like it you know, like I, I, I've seen, um, I've seen semis, I've seen, I've seen tractors, I've seen, uh, like, and you can imagine, um, I've seen in the air from tornadoes. And if a tornado can pick up, you know, like ten tractors in a row, there's no reason they can't pick up a trucker, like a small tank or anything like that. Um, so, um, so just preluding with that, you know, like, so when we went to go build our truck out, uh, we felt we had two choices. One was to go more. Uh, like in a sense, like more of a, an extreme off-road Baja feel or the tank route. And the, those guys were doing the tanks. And also, you know, um, they were the guys driving the tanks are the ones who are uh, more playing with the science side of things. So they want to, um, that's their angle. They want to get inside the tornado. They want to get some certain readings. For us with footage, you know, um, what I learned from being inside a tornado is that there's nothing to see. Right. Like, you know, you might you might get to see something floating through the air, but it's largely just a big dust storm. And like Twister made this myth up that there's an eye of the storm in the tornado. There isn't um, because tornadoes are too small. Like even the world's largest is only four kilometers big. And uh, even at that point, like it's still just wrapping around on itself. And like, and actually tornadoes, the center goes up and the outside goes out. And like, there's so much like, so if the center's doing that, like there's no chance for an eye, like, the eye of a storm actually came from a, uh, the idea comes from a hurricane because hurricanes can be 3,500, 4,000 kilometers wide. And they have eyes of the hurricane that will be a hundred, 200 kilometers wide. And like, if you ever, if you haven't seen it before, you should Google it. The eye of a hurricane. If you've seen, I haven't seen it. I would love to, uh, but you see the eye of a hurricane. Um, it looks like you're inside a big stadium with really vertical walls. And it is super trippy uh, to look at. And so there's a few storm chasers that have accomplished that before, but sorry, back to the vehicles. We want more of the ball hall look. So something we do have on our vehicle that does come in handy is it's fully coated in Linex. And, uh, you know, now it's our, 
uh, we've done three vehicles. We just finished. We just finished building our last one. Um, we've done two F one fifties. We just built an, an F two fifty, and so um, we've had Linux on all of them. That's because you know we get hit by uh, we get hit by large hail, golf ball, baseball, uh, softball size hail, and that will dent up your steel or aluminum uh, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Linux, it, like we we've been hit with like softball size hail, and it did not make one dent in the Linux. Um, nice. We've been hit with like debris from tornadoes because like with with us, um, we're not interested inside a tornado because the imagery doesn't look good. So we need to be like a half a kilometer away, sometimes a kilometer away from a storm, so we can see it all. Because that's like that's the real beauty in the storms: is getting to see the top, see the bottom, and and uh, and use our cameras to capture how we need to. And so um, we uh, at that point, though, if we're a kilometer away from that storm, that tornado can still grab a piece of steel, a piece of wood, and throw it our way, or it might come rocketing out of the sky. And if that hits the truck, um, again, we don't want to damage the truck. Linux protects us. And uh, and really, like, we are sponsored by Linux, but not bullshitting you. Because um, I, I use the truck year round. And so I use it for adventure, snowmobiling, dirt biking, everything else. Like when uh, whenever I have to run like a painted truck, like if I have a dirt bike, I'm not setting my dirt bike against the truck. Like I'm finding a tree or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With Linux, man, it's like, fuck everybody. Put your dirt bike against the truck. Put it on top of the truck. Like you wash it, and you you'll never see a mark from it. Like it's just so nice. Like we go to um, we do once in a while we do school talks. We used to do more, but like well, I'll go to an elementary school, and the kids will come out, and like they can crawl all over the truck. I'll be like, you guys, like oh, 100, 200 kids, like kick the tr- kick the truck as many times as hard as you want, and you can't damage it. And yeah. uh, so, anyways, you know, like if if you are listening, you're like, you know, is that Linux worth it? Uh, I, I promise you it is you can like you can get any color you want it, when you wash it it washes off brand new like even 10 years later um so anyways the linux is super cool um we did run if you want looks at our last two trucks we ran um we ran these roll cages like these exterior roll cages um that there is uh, a roof a roof rack roll cage that came out of like the potash mining sector here in Saskatchewan. And so that's more for like if roofs uh, like collapse on these vehicles. So um, it was really well built. So if you have to roll, if you do roll your truck end over end, um, that that would protect you. But like, so we've had, a, had those on our trucks down for the last nine years and we've never rolled a truck. And um, now that I said, I hope that this isn't the year because the reason I'm getting at it is that we didn't put it on this truck. Another reason why we didn't put it on this truck is they're so loud, like right. uh, the wind noise. And maybe you guys have that with your hunting truck setups, but uh, when we're driving along, it's just, and if you get like the wind coming against you, it's like a humming sound, like, and right. it go, like we drive for days on end, like every day we drive probably 10, 12 hours. And when you like, there's some days it would be so loud, like I would get a headache from it. And when we're trying to film inside the truck, we would have to stop driving because the noise is too loud to hear people's voices. Mm-hmm. Oh, and wow. so the only way around it um, was to figure out a different roof rack system. And on top of that, on off, off the roof rack, um, we used to have what are called mitigation bars. And uh, that's if we ever get hit like down power lines, like a tree that it wouldn't come into the windshield. They would go over the truck, but they also, um, we only ever, the reason why we put them on is because before we got them, we got hit with a, a set of down power lines. But after that, we learned to dodge the power lines. You 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 look for the power poles that are teetering, and you just don't go by them because like uh, we're really lucky. 
with nothing worse happening. So we've never actually had to use the mitigation bars and the mitigation bars. Um, yeah, like I gotta be honest, they, they always kind of scared me that if we rolled over like their, their inch steel tubing, what if, like, what if they snap? Are they going to like, uh, yeah, and so like, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a welder. Maybe they would stand up to us rolling the truck over, but, um, they always kind of concerned me because like they're right in, they're right in front of your windshield. And, um, uh, so anyways, we're not running those this year. That's a bit, that's a big difference that we've been asked about. Um, but we we're running a, a bigger truck, so more power, uh, more space. And also truthfully, from a marketing standpoint, um, it just gets seen better um, with what we're doing. Um, we're running 37s on it. Nice. And um, and that's yeah, like that's really about it. We got steel bumpers. Um, we got some rad storage set up in the back. We're using like uh, you guys might know it. I didn't actually quite know it until this year because we always did custom stuff before this. But we have like a deck system in the back with like rollout yep. uh, oh, shelving, yeah. and then we have like Lightner uh, box rack. So we got like the flaps that open up. Um, and uh, yeah, that's about it. Like in our old truck, we used to uh, also run like a lot of custom like satellite gear for own weather radars, but um technology has come so far now that what we used to pay like two thousand dollars a month for you can get is like a ten dollar annual app now on your phone um so um yeah so anyways that's that's the current setup um of the truck and then tons of lighting to see all around when it gets dark and inside these storms but anyway sorry i just gotta i just chat about the roller cage we get a lot of lots of questions about that no that's cool very very interesting just like the the setup because i've seen quite a few different trucks not quite a few but you see them you know, on instagram and stuff and they're they seem very interesting and there's things that are on them like wonder why those are there and but i mean obviously there's obvious reasons but i still think about them sometimes um like i don't i know tristan's probably got a couple more quick questions here i don't want to take up too too much more time um you know we're running close to an hour and a half now but um the one question I did want to ask you, and it's just because boots on the ground experience. And I mean, um, I think that that goes a long way, but one thing when it comes to tornadoes, especially in Manitoba, I, I like lived through um, an experience where my grandparents and my uncle were in a tornado and I lost my uncle. My grandparents couldn't get downstairs fast enough. They ended up hiding underneath their table and they were in an area where like the cell phone range wasn't that good. And or like, sorry, not the range but the cell service wasn't that good. They didn't get the, the pre-emergency text they didn't get anything and um yeah the trail came through the like they lived in the bush kind of idea right like they didn't really see it coming let's say and um so the one question i would i do want to ask you is like when we're outside or wherever we're at especially in manitoba there's lots of bushy areas and on the rivers and lakes but if a storm starts rolling in like what other <clears throat> suggestions do you have than the obvious of finding shelter what other things like can you do when you're trapped on the river or trapped on the lake or trapped hunting and a storm rolls in and it could be potential of a tornado? What would, what were some things that you'd do? Yeah, that's a good question. Like if you find yourself in a spot, like um, if you're on water, get off that water. Um, <clears throat> and so it's like, you know, a lot of times it's like, it's not um, when I talk to people about this, like our, our minds go like the, it's the worst case scenario that tornado hits us or a lightning bolt hit, hits us it's not usually that that's actually the most dangerous or the most likely to happen is that it's just those, uh, if you're in water, the winds are going to pick up, the waves are going to pick up, you're going to tip over and then it's going to be tough to like swim out of that kind of thing. Um, also like you want to get to an area of some sort of shelter because again, like um, 
it's not the worst case scenario it's going to get you, but it's going to be like uh, the the high winds that come with it is going to grab a tree branch or it's going to, or some hail is going to fly out of the sky and it's going to hit you in the head or something like that. Like it's going to be like, um, that's what it's more likely to happen in these storms. And so if you are on the water uh, getting to shelter, but you know, if you're, if you're out in the middle of nowhere and, um, and it's only trees for your, your shelter option, um, it's tough because, you know, like uh, the old adage, like you don't want to stand by the side of a tree in case like there's lightning because uh, trees are uh, full of sap and water and that can be a conductor and call on that lightning. But the trees can also protect you from the hail that might be coming out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a tough call. Um, you know, if it was me, I would still take my chance under the tree um, because I think you're much more likely to get hit by flying debris than you are uh, a lightning strike. Um, and even if the lightning does hit the tree, like if you're not... If you're not holding onto the tree, there's a good chance you're going to be fine anyway. Um, yeah, you know, like that or like looking for, um, not a dugout, like a, a culvert um, or anything like that. Um, you know, even like something as simple, like it wouldn't, I know it wouldn't be that comforting, but if you are in a canoe or something like that, or if you're in like a, like a tin fishing boat that you can move around somewhat easily, like I'd be flipping it over. If you are getting to high winds and find your lowest area, flip that over. And I know it's not the best solution, but um, it could really help. Uh, that, that little bit of aerodynamic uh, can make all the world of difference. Um, yeah. And, and and just watching the sky, you know, like uh, like even before it comes, like um, I'm sure if you've spent enough time in the outdoors, I think a lot of people get that feeling like there's like, it feels like there's going to be a storm. There's a sense of stillness. There's some humidity, some electricity. That I feel like gives most people's bodies a feeling that it's going to be a storm. And so you're watching the sky and um, you're watching the sky. And if you do see some dark clouds coming your way, well, like if the sooner you act, the better versus waiting too late. Uh, if you do see greens and blues, that just speaks to the severity of the storm. If it's blue, uh, it's typically rain. And if it's green, it's typically hail. Now there is like arguments like, on different levels of what it could be but really what's happening is the sunlight is refracting off of the moisture so if we're if the sunlight hits the raindrops up in the clouds it turns to blue if it hits hail it turns to green and if it turns like a deep green that's massive hail and so something interesting um it makes sense to me now but i didn't understand it before storm chasing is that uh if a storm has hail that means there's circulation within that storm. Because what happens is, is there's rain droplets inside these supercells. So inside these thunderstorms, these supercell thunderstorms. And if these rain droplets get carried high, the only reason why they're getting carried high is because a storm is breathing into itself. These storms, they want to get bigger and air is their fuel. So if that storm is breathing into itself, it's carrying water droplets higher and higher. And... Uh, the storm is breathing into itself, but it also has circulation within it. So as water droplets get carried higher, they eventually start to freeze into like little ice pellets, little hailstones. Um, if you see little hailstones, well, there's some circulation in that storm, but there's not a whole lot. Uh, it's not very strong. Odds are it's not capable of producing a tornado. But if you start to see larger hail pellets, that means that the circulation is strong enough within that storm that those ice pellets are sitting up in that storm for a minute, two minutes, sometimes five minutes. Sometimes 10 minutes, what happens is, is those water droplets going up, 
hit other formed ice pellets and like a snowball it packs on it gets bigger and bigger and that's when you get those bigger hailstones so the deeper green that you see or the bigger the hailstones that you actually physically see means there's more circulation inside the storm means that's more capable of producing a tornado hmm. yeah so okay. like watching it like watching in the distance for those uh factors also the flatter the base of a storm the more dangerous it is Right. Um, which I've, yeah, I've always found interesting because I, I see a flat base and it looks somewhat soothing. Uh, but the flatter the base is, the more circulation it has, and that's uh, it's just something that happens with the atmosphere. Um, I'm not quite sure, but I, just, I know that the ingredients the more circulation, the flatter the base. So if it has a flat base, and if it's so flat that you can like pick one spot that's kind of looks like there's a cloud lowering down all on its own, but nowhere else, odds are that's where the tornado is going to come out or some kind of funnel cloud, something like that. So if it has like a rough base and you see like lots of arms dangling down, well, it's an active thunderstorm, but not a whole lot's happening. But if it flattens out and there's not a whole lot hanging below that, then you got a serious storm on your side as well. So like watching for some of those characteristics um, beforehand um, and then thinking about how to get out of its way. Sorry, I know it's getting long-winded. I'll finish this up. Is that if the storm is coming towards you, if you... For example, if you're sitting somewhere and you know directions and you can see that storm, you got a dark green storm and it's uh, south of you and you're north of it, there's a good chance it's coming your way. And so you want to move west uh, because, again, storms always go north or east in a northeasterly fashion. So if uh, you want to do whatever you can to get out of its way. Uh, so, again, like, you know, if you're east of it, well, then go south, uh, but just picking any route to get out of its way. Yeah. Uh, also, sorry, something else that really helps to pick out these storms. Regular thunderstorms are typically darker. They're bluish, grayish. Um, supercell thunderstorms will have some green in them, but they also will be very, very like pitch white. And they start to look like a like a mushroom cloud, like a bomb going off that you'll see that you'll be like, wow, like it's kind of all there. And it looks like a big tower going up and it kind of has like a flat top. It often looks like looks like there's like a UFO, like a disc parked on top of that storm. Those are key characteristics. No, sorry. If somebody's listening, I know I'm telling you a lot and you're probably going to forget half of it, but. No, it's all great information, man. And like, just like the last thing you said there about like the storm, the way they move heading West. I mean, that that could, that could go a long way for people that are outside, you know, uh, like whatever, whatever it may be. Like, I just think of, I do a lot of, I mean, I don't think a trainer would go that far North, but I do a lot of like camping and fishing in Northern Manitoba where, you might not have service. You might be able, not be able to check what's coming in on, on what days, right? Uh, you might have a long-term forecast before you get out there. But, um, yeah, just having that knowledge of, like, heading west, and that could go a long way if you're in the middle of a lake or anything just to get out of its way. For 100%. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I did have a few quick ones here, Sheldon. Perfect. Me, but um, I was wondering, uh, Ricky, you mentioned – uh, a $10 app, but, uh, maybe for those listening, like, or, or do you have any apps that you're partial to for, for tracking storms, maybe a Canadian one or American one, or, or one that's good for both. I don't know. Yeah. Um, the one I like to use is called radar scope. Uh, so th- there's a few different ones out there. Like there's like, and I'm not affiliated with them. Like there's another one called like radar Omega. Um, but radar scope is my favorite and they do have like a free version. And then they have one, if you pay like I think it's like it's called the pro version. You pay like ten or twelve dollars, uh, but then it tells you all sorts of things. It tells you like the size of the hail inside the storms. Um, it'll tell you the lightning strikes and how many lightning strikes are happening per minute on a storm. 
um, in Los Angeles, and it, it all reads off of your GPS location as well. So say this is where oh, wow. you are. This is where the storm came from. This is where it's predicted to go. It tells you all sorts of amazing information. That's handy because, yeah, like Sheldon was saying, when we do have service, it's nice to know and predict. You know, even if you're going out fishing for the afternoon, sometimes it's nice to know <laughs> which way that storm's going to swing and if you're you're in the path or not, that kind of stuff. For sure. Are you guys using, uh, maybe you're not that concerned because I guess maybe you guys do this to get away from uh, society, but like, do you guys use like uh, like Starlink or anything for data out there? Yeah, uh, yeah. Been to, been to a few lodges and stuff that, yeah, the Starlink's available. There's just, you know, the, the I've got a few camp or not a few. I got a camp that has, we have a cell phone booster and you'd be lucky to get a text out every once in a while. <laughs> oh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just getting off the grid is the yeah. main thing. Right. Too. So. Sure. Hey, how about cell phone boosters? Do you guys have, do you have one uh, like that you love? Um, I, I, I can get you that information because we do, we actually just changed the one that we have in, at this one camp. Um, and it's, I haven't been able to use it because I haven't been there for a little while, but my cousin that, that runs the camp too, he's now like, he can do like FaceTime and stuff off of it. So he's went from basically barely getting a text out to, 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 yeah, having some pretty good service. So, um, but I can get you that information here too. Yeah. That'd sure. be awesome. It's tough to find good ones. Yeah. And, and it's like, we have some too with work that we use in our trucks, but they seem pretty like. It's like a 50-50 thing if they're going to work or not. You know what I mean? But um, but yeah, cell phone boosters, they are hard to find. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I was wondering too, Ricky, you know, maybe just with uh, chasing storms, but even I, because you do all the other outdoor stuff too, is there is there anything when you leave the house that you don't leave without? Um, I know like me and Sheldon are big Leatherman guys and stuff like that, but anything like along the lines that uh, you kind of just find makes your outdoor journeys just a little bit easier? uh you know i think you guys um would probably be much more equipped than i would be like uh <clears throat> you know my, my my friends and my fiance always give me a hard time that uh I, I, I when i go to do stuff like i never look at weather like either way if i plan it i'm going to do it and uh <laughs> yeah like I'll, I'll take a few extra food bars um i like i I really believe like in, um, especially as I've gotten older, when I was younger, I didn't really care, but like I've, I've frozen my hands and feet now enough and had some close calls that like, um, uh, I pay for the good stuff. Like I used to be like, you know what? $30 gloves will do it. And, uh, I've had some close calls. I'm like, man, like if I just, it doesn't have to be this way. I'm sure, well, I'm sure with you guys doing your thing. So like one is just like buying the right gear and then holding onto it. And like, like, like how's it going but like buy it nice or buy it twice type thing yeah yeah and um so having the right gear um having uh those layers are really really worth it um you know actually one piece of gear that we use when we, like when we really go backcountry like um and i mean like um i would say snowmobiling is where we can really get ourselves into some sticky situations quickly is um I'm not, I'm not too familiar with other GPS systems, but like the one we use, it's this Garmin GPS is like, I don't know, six or 700 bucks per radio. Um, but it leaves cookie crumbs. Um, and I'm sure like it's, it's a few years old and it still works great. And and maybe there's other technology now, but like, um, having that, there's been a few situations where like at least snowmobiling that, you know, when everything's, when everything's clear or slightly clear and you can see some landmarks and everything's kind of making sense, it's great. But like, 
there's been two situations um, where we've been like way in, like, you know, hour, hour and a half in the outback and it just goes to white out. And all of a sudden you can't tell the difference between the ground and the sky. You can't see a single shadow. And like, you're trying to uh, get like what should have taken an hour and a half to get back all of a sudden takes like 12 or 15 hours. And um, yeah, I'm lucky the first time that happened to me, I was lucky that a buddy I was with had that GPS because I didn't. And if we didn't, like, I would have just had to sit still because I had no idea where to go. And um, so that has been a saving grace. I would say, like, that'd be a, about it for what I could offer on that. Yeah. There's a second second podcast in a row where we talked about uh, in reaches and stuff because Tristan's brother and myself got stuck um, up in way far northern Manitoba where there's like, potential polar bears potential black bears everything we got stuck on the river for like 30 some hours we did have the inreach but we just no one else did in our group so we couldn't like really talk to anybody so oh. our last case in, or our last <clears throat> resort would be to push in the, the sos button but uh the next day our buddies came and rescued us so we we're we we're good that way but but yeah, was, gonna, was, uh, was it good to have? Yeah, and I was just say, Ricky, like I, I know a lot of folks like to use the the GPS like handheld or like freestanding system, but uh, you know, even us as hunters, we're using a lot of the times it's it's uh, called an iHunter app, and that will work without satellite uh, or without uh, data. They, it oh uses, yeah, it uses the GPS coordinates on your phone to to show you where you are, and you can auto load maps onto that app. So it basically functions as your GPS on your phone and you can mark your track through. Uh, so if you hit the track function, it, it would follow you wherever you went and, and lay that track for you. So it's called iHunter. Yeah. Yeah. We actually made the jump. I made the jump a couple of years back and just left my GPS at home for the first time ever. I used to carry it in my pack for redundancy, but I found that I was just never using the the, the handheld anymore. So yeah. I just, I do all the stuff on my phone now and it, it hasn't let me down. You just make sure your phone's charged, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I use a GPS myself. But I also have a, uh, I carry a spot app as well yep. because a backup and uh also to, like, to call out if something really goes sideways but something i found with the spot and i'm sure inreach does it too um but you can connect it uh like through the through the spots um like at a hundred fifty dollar membership whatever it is per year you can create your own little page within there's that it will upload your coordinates like every 10 or 15 minutes to a live viewing that anybody with that url can go and have a look and so uh for you know my fiance my parents whoever whoever's interested that um because a lot of times you know like we'll be out not lost times but once in a while we'll be out and we're supposed to be back at 5 p.m but somebody's somebody breaks an a-arm or whatever it is and um now we're not back until 10 p.m and sometimes i just don't think to call or i can't call and um like that way they can go and check that they can see where you are see you know if we've been moving well then everybody's fine yeah and that, that's awesome yeah that that is a good feature too and uh i know for folks using the ia hunter too i'll just give them a shout out too because we do we work closely with ia hunters you can broadcast your location to to people on the oh, dope. on yeah with your contacts there so yeah. like another you're right because like sometimes if you were to get stuck like let's say you got incapacitated right that's what the in reach and the and the the broadcast location would be really helpful for right because you you might not be able to send that SOS message, but at least folks can get 
a GPS coordinate on where your kind of last position was, right? For sure. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Last question I had, and this is just for uh, sheer curiosity, but I was scrolling the old internet the other, well, it, probably a few months ago, last summer, I'd imagine. And I, I think, I can't remember it was, but I saw a fire tornado, like a, 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 a tornado had met like a, a forest fire or something, or like a, a prairie fire at some point in time. And it was scooping up the fire. Is this a thing or is this, did I just make this up? Have you seen one of these? Do you have any insight on this? No. So um, I've seen quite a few different styles of tornadoes. Like I've even seen like twin tornadoes. Uh, it's like one of my biggest days beyond like that world's largest tornado. Um, like I've seen yeah. twin EF4 tornadoes side by side, which is a very rare occurrence. But a fire tornado, I would love to see it. Uh, I've been around wildfires hoping to see that. What happens is it's actually not a tornado hitting that wildfire. Um, that that has happened like once or twice, like in recorded history. What happens actually is that um, the heat coming off that wildfire creates its own weather system. So it's going up into cold air. And that essentially creates the system that takes to create a tornado in the first place because tornadoes ultimately come down to cold and hot air. And so hot air rises and hits that cold air. It spins around and then it ends up going vertical and it creates that fire nado. Um, but tornadoes also take oxygen to keep going. And so that fire nado can only last for so long because the fire just burns out any oxygen involved with it. Um, but on that note, um, often this question uh, leads to shark nado. <laughs> is that like because people are like fire nato if that can happen can shark nato happen <laughs> and uh no but uh every year there are many water spouts around the world so that's when a tornado does happen over water and a tornado does suck up water and if you've never seen it you got to google it it's the coolest looking thing i've tried many times like we camped out in florida one year for like six weeks because mo the majority of them in the world happen around florida and we never got to see one so I still want to see a, a fire nato. I still need to see a water spout. Um, but these water spouts, they pick up water. And if they can pick up water, they can pick up anything inside that water. And so every year, there's stories of like people being two, three, four miles inland in Florida. And then all of a sudden, a fish falls out of the sky. And then another fish and then some other debris that comes from <laughs> the water. And because the tornado sucks up those fish. And it goes up into the sky and then falls out a few miles inland. And so Sharknado is not real, but the concept could somewhat happen. It, it's, it's literally raining fish over land somewhere when these things happen. That's it is. Yep. I can see why they would write books about that. Like, and then fish fell from the sky. And uh... <laughs> yeah, like, can you imagine being in like a, in a world 300 years ago? It's like, yeah, like, you have to create gods for this. Like, how else do you reason this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Oh, that's funny. That's, uh, I was just going to say to you, you said something that kind of sparked my interest. And since we're all going, giving out free ads, this uh, podcast for yeah. Lion X and now iHunter, mine will be because uh, you mentioned something about like buying something once instead of twice and getting your quality. Um, I do quite a bit of <clears throat> snowmobiling as well. And we actually started using Woolove, base layer company. And it's, you know, it, you, you pay for what you get and I would never like go backwards now. So when you're talking about like getting the right gear for like backcountry doing whatever, um, yeah. that'd be my, that'd be my suggestion to anybody listening, get a good yeah. base layer because it uh, can save you. So what is it? Wool? Wool, wool love. love. Yeah. When he, when he said base layer, I instantly went wool love. Um, yeah. It's a Merino wool, like uh base layer. It's, it's just super comfortable and 
does like i don't know at least we for us spending our time outside like we find it helps regulate the body temperature a little better than some of those like synthetic base layers and stuff like that so yeah it's uh it's pretty we're big fans but yeah, yeah. And it's got something that I I don't even know how to pronounce it. Tristan does, but it makes it so it doesn't stink. <laughs> antimicrobial, like yeah. wool is wool, wool is a natural like antimicrobial uh, property. So like the the merino is good for that. Huh, that is awesome. Yeah, yeah. all kind of factoids today with uh, yeah Ricky Forbes. Yeah, um, before we take off too, Ricky, I just want to ask you one more question, non non tornado related, but um. You did mention you snowmobile quite a bit. Um, is there any places that you tend to visit more than once? Like any good spots you like to go to? Um, I, like I've been to Revy and like uh, Grizzly Lodge and a couple other spots, but where, where do you like to go? Here in the mountains, I take it quite a bit. Uh, well, yeah, I like to go like, um, my parents have a place in Salmon Arm. Okay, nice. So, which is like uh, half an hour from Sycamus, which has some of the top riding. And then, which is like another, like an hour and a half from Revelstoke. And yeah. so, um, yeah, otherwise I, it can be pretty expensive. I found, before that, I found it can be pretty expensive for lodging and everything else when you're out there. But um, yeah, no, like I love, um, I, I, it's really just personal experience. I guess with snow, I just find it's so much on the days that you hit. You know, if somebody hits a snow day somewhere, that's the best place in the world. And yeah. it really feels that way. And so like, uh, in the Sycamus area, I've locked out and just hit snow days. Uh, some riding like uh, riding areas like um, Eagle Pass and like Blue Lake, if you know the area, like those two I've had um, really good luck at. Um, but, you know, for views wise, um, Frisbee uh, in Revelstoke, like when you get to the top and if there's inversion happening and the sun's out and you're spring riding and uh you're on those mountain tops and it just looks like a massive lake around you like um i don't know for me that like i would say that's there's nothing cooler than that yeah i i don't know sycamus area that well the only thing i've done there is i went houseboarding a couple few years <laughs> and that was fun that was probably one of the funnest two or three day uh, blackouts i've ever been on so it was uh, pretty good at least you heard yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I heard it was fun <laughs> yeah. but it was great though it was the time before like really big social media or like even iphones like i think i still had a blackberry at the time so there wasn't many videos of what happened so that's always a good thing <laughs> um yeah and i guess that uh, tristan if you don't have anything else I, I was just almost gonna ask ricky if you could do one maybe um one tornado story other than your your big one is there anything that like sticks out in your mind that you can just share with our listeners like the maybe like another holy shit moment or just a cool tornado that you got to experience um but like two that come to mind i was like, as i was thinking about i often get asked like you know like what's your scariest moments what um i was sorry so the key that came to mind earlier that what like, one is being caught inside a tornado um another time we were chasing a storm at night and um we do our best not to do that uh, because um, like during the daytime, we, we rely on our radars and our phones, but a lot of it's also just instinct, you know, like, um, cause you never know that radar, it can be behind. It can say that it's updating, but it might not be like if, if that tornado hits a cell phone tower or if that app just bugs out for that moment or that day, like we don't know until it's too late. And so, we chase during the daytime so we can still read the eye with, uh, read the storms with our eyes. Um, but there was this one time we were chasing at night. And the reason why we were chasing at night is because we were filming the show 
and we just went three weeks of a bust. Um, you know, it's just like usually we catch tornado every few days, and the weather just wasn't working out. It wasn't mistakes that we were making. We, that does happen sometimes. Uh, but we went three weeks without a storm. We had a film crew rolling with us every day, and that's a lot of it's a lot of stress because those film crews are worth a lot of money, and there's people like calling us from the production outfit, like being like what the hell's going on? And so um, the opportunity came up that there's going to be a trade at night and um, we were all terrified, but we felt obligated to do it. And uh, so we went out and we caught it. It was uh, an EF3 wedge tornado. And um, we saw a touchdown on the ground and through lightning strikes, we could see it. So a lightning bolt would hit it and we could see a right and left edge and we could see it. And it was uh, about a kilometer away from us. And as far as we knew, it was moving sideways in front of us. So it's just, it should have stayed around a kilometer away from us. But right around the time that it hit the ground, it took out a cell phone tower and our radar stopped working. And so now we were relying solely on lightning strikes hitting uh, the ground. But we thought for sure that that tornado was going to move side to side and it didn't. It actually moved towards us. And so we're sitting on the side of the highway watching and there has been a lightning strike for a little while. And all the winds are moving from our left to our right. They're all flowing into the storm. Because these winds, if you're around these storms, again, the winds want to go into these storms. So the weather's going this way. And so like a key thing that we say when we're storm chasing is if the wind changes direction, you're too close and you're really in shit. Because if you are close enough for the wind to change direction, that means the tornado is close enough to change that direction for you. Like, um, if it ever, if it's ever going to change, it should be so gradual. It should be over a period of like a half an hour, 45 minutes, but we're sitting there and the wind's going this way. And all of a sudden the wind stops and it starts firing the other way. And we're like, Oh my God. Like that means like the tornado is right in front of us. In fact, like it's a little bit to the other side now and we can't see it. And it's getting louder. Like tornadoes sound like a jet engine, like, and we can start to hear it. And the the air in front of us now is all of a sudden becoming like really murky. It feels like you're almost like in water kind of thing. We're, we're on the edge of the tornado. We know we're not inside it. Um, and it should be moving away from us. But now it grabs the truck and it starts dragging us into the storm. So this is something else too. If you ever find yourself near high winds or a tornado, you want to park um, your nose into it. Uh, you want to park your nose into it or your ass end into it. We say the nose because you can keep adjusting your nose. Um, if you park your ass into it, sometimes you can't quite adjust the same way because you don't want to be sideways because if that wind grabs you, you're going to go uh, side over side. And so we nosed ourselves towards this tornado and um, it was down the highway and it started uh, to drag us down the highway that we're in park. And uh, so I'm in the driver's seat. I put it in four wheel drive. I put it in reverse and I start like trying to like slowly go backwards and I was trying to get traction and it was just burning rubber and you could smell the rubber burning and it dragged us for like nearly half a kilometer and I was just shitting my pants and uh, it dragged us down the highway into the ditch a little bit and finally it let up and uh, let us go. Um, but we also, it wasn't just like our, our storm chase crew in our truck, it was also the film crew um and so like you know like our storm chase crew um not to sound reckless but the truth is we know we've we know what we've signed up for like you know if you're uh i, I was i would argue the same as you guys if you guys are out there and a, and a bear comes around or something like that like it's not ideal but like it's not a, a it's not a huge shock and uh 
same thing with anyways with the situation versus the film crew they're just there to document us they're not there to put uh to be in that situation so that was pretty tough um and then later that season to cement my relationship with the film crew we were in the sarcasm is that we have a uh we have a, a chase truck uh so some of the film crews in the in our truck with us and the rest of the film crews in the other truck because it takes like a director a producer a sound guy a cameraman and we also have a safety guy so two vehicles uh and we're going into a storm so we're going through this hail core this is a big hail wall right beside what we think could be a tornado on the ground our radar tells us that we're not sure we're going down a washed out uh like farmer's road so like not gravel road but like single track like a bit silty bit clay and slick and steep ditches so one way in one way out that you're gonna have to back out and so we're going in we go through this hail core sure enough there's a tornado on the ground it's getting bigger it's coming towards us and we're getting our footage everything's going good i radio back to the chase crew and uh, i say uh hey listen we're gonna wait for a few moments here we're gonna get our shots you guys start backing up right now and then i'm gonna come back because i already tried backing up in like the mud um spun up and it packed onto our, our um our backup camera and it also packed onto uh the mirror so i couldn't see all i could see was the road ahead of me and so that's how i was backing up was just watching the road ahead of me and so i ran back to them and, and and told them this and i didn't get any response but they were so close i just assumed that they heard me and um then i start backing up i can't see them behind me and because we're in the middle of this storm, middle of this hailstorm, and I'm also all kicked up with mud. And um, they started, like, they got a bit of distance behind us. And then the tornado started sneaking up on us and it started to grab our front end a little bit. And so I, I hammered on it. And I don't know, however fast those F-150s go backwards, it was, it was going, I don't know, 40, 50 kilometers an hour backwards. And uh, with our steel bumpers and our roll cage and everything, they um they're driving like a dodge 3500 dually and i hit their front end totaled off their truck pushed them into the ditch it's funny now but then i was so sick uh because this train was on the ground uh i was certain i just i just put like i just put myself my friends like because we're all we're all super tight we're all like living on the road together like i just put my friends in harm's way like there's a chance they might die because of me and we pull up beside them the radio's not working anymore uh whatever got damaged i go to open my door i'm gonna run over there i don't know what i was thinking i was gonna do uh but i go to open my door and the door snaps like all the way around and from the winds and somehow i was able to grab it and like reef it all the way back and i was able to close the door but it was damaged somehow but it did close and um for a moment like i looked over the made eye contact with them they looked terrified. I didn't know what to do. And um, the truth is nobody said anything. And um, <clears throat> this sounds super, this, this sounds awful. And But the truth is it went through my mind that is one of two things going to happen. Either we're, we're all going to go or our truck can still get out. And I had to make a call because it wasn't just my life in that truck. There's three other people and we weren't doing any good just sitting there. And so I feel like I even tell you now, I feel like a super shitty person. I just, I didn't know what else to do. And I made a decision, a split, a split second. And so I continued backing up and that tornado, I could, we I watched um, as a trainer came right up to the front end of that truck. It started to move the front end of the truck just a little bit. And I was sure it was, was going to pick that truck up next, but then the tornado just dissipated. It just went up and mm -hmm. that was it. Yeah. But they were, uh, they were super, 
super mad at me for many days after that um <laughs> for that whole situation everybody blamed that on me and it was roughly my fault and um yeah it was just really shitty the choice i had to make i just um i suppose the, the truth is i would do it again because I, I don't there's no there's no sense in any other decision but sorry yeah. i wouldn't back into them again but like if i was in that it's like do we all go or if one vehicle can get out it was, it was just really super tough and super sickening uh spot to be put in yeah that is uh that's cra- like crazy i say crazy a bit but that's crazy and tonight's been tonight's been super fun though like i and um like i've been kind of giggling at some of your stories and it's not out of disrespect it's because like it's some of it's unbelievable and it's just like i i don't know it's just it's it's crazy man and i really appreciate you coming onto the podcast it's uh time has flown um i'm gonna let tristan if he has anything else to say anything on maybe this little um ending of the podcast but again like um um it's been it's been awesome thanks a lot for coming on and um the information i mean it's going to go a long way for us being out in the woods or the lakes or wherever we're at yeah yeah i've only i've sunk a few boats in my time and that that was stressful enough i couldn't imagine when a tornado's tickling the front end of your truck which what that would feel like so i uh, yeah i had a hell of a time listening to all the stories and it, it's really fun just getting to i'd say kick back but i feel like i was pretty stressed through some of those too as well so <laughs> but uh it's been real fun ricky and uh really appreciate you coming on yeah thanks a lot guys i really enjoyed the chat and uh yeah if you ever need another guest in the future i'd be happy to yeah i would love to have you back on and if you're ever coming to the province of manitoba or you're coming to have a whiskey with josh or whatever it may be look us up and we'll, we'll get together and get some check out that truck that you guys are wheeling around in you, you guys should come storm chasing come podcast on the road hey man <laughs> i got lots of holidays this summer you shouldn't you shouldn't say that because i might actually take you up on it <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun right on well yeah if uh hopefully in the future we'll get you back on and we'll go from there definitely right on thanks ricky and that's a wrap on episode 146. We're going to thank Ricky for joining us on the podcast. Exciting podcast. Love to be a part of it. And again, we thank everyone for the support. If you want to support us further, be sure to check us out online, panoramaoutdoors.com. There you'll find some blog posts, um, but mainly our shop. So check out our shop. Sheldon's working hard every, I don't want to say every day, but close, close every day. It's working hard. Make sure the fresh is up to stock and uh, refresh with fresh new gear. If you, we don't have something in stock that you want, let us know and we'll we'll try to make it happen for you. Also, other ways to support us, you can check us out online, Instagram, Panoramic Outdoors, Facebook, Panoramic Outdoors. Be sure to help out the folks that we help out as well too. You can follow Harvester Outdoors, We'll Love, and you can follow Heritage Co- Co-op online as well. They all have great Instagram accounts. Uh, so st- st- stick with us. And uh, if we don't see you, down the line down the road down the river hopefully you have a good spring here get out fishing once or twice more and uh we know we hope to so we'll see you around the bend